0: What's going on, guys? My Take Radio episode 220 for Thursday, March 20th, 2014. Our call number is 347-324-3541. Again, that call-in number 347-324-3541. You can also hit up our feedback line 347 That's 347-815-0MTR. mtr right, a couple of things. We got a lot of new people that are tuning in and Got to get a couple of ground rules out of the way. Of course, I make sure to establish this every couple of episodes. Uh, first and foremost, you can watch, chat, and listen live by going to mtrlive.com or going to our friends at gfqlive.tv and joining the chat there. If you are listening on mtrlive.com, mute the Mixler player so that you won't, you won't get an echo. Some people forget to do that. Mute one of the players and you can hear the audio from the player of your choice Uh, Of course, if you want to change your nickname, make sure to click the icon on the side and change Nick, and you'll be able to change your nickname so you are not GFQ Viewer X, Y, and Z, whatever number it is. Uh, Make sure to do that. Um, We got a lot of stuff going on tonight. Uh, Ben's going to be joining us to talk about UFC 171. We're going to talk about a lot of MMA news, including, and here's a kicker, uh, Ronda Rousey and the WWE. We're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about the Holly Home negotiations, which pretty much fell apart. We also will, of course, be talking about Raw. We got a ton of gaming news this week and a lot of entertainment news, including some What the Fuck movie news for this week. As always, we will be taking your calls again, 347-324-3541. If you are listening via a mobile device, there are a couple of things you can do. Our very own Jay Santee notified me that you can actually use the chat and watch the show on your mobile device. So you can do that. Also, you can use the call-in number, not hit option one, and you'll be able to listen um, through your phone as well. So those are just a couple of the options you can use to listen to tonight's show. A couple of things, of course, with the chat. Conduct yourselves accordingly. I know you guys have a good time in there. We always have a good time, but please don't, don't come in there trying to troll and do flame bait because our listeners definitely do not fuck around and they will rip you to shreds. So by all means, you know, have fun in there. And uh, let's get into some of... The other things we got to talk about tonight, some housekeeping. Uh, First and foremost, we did our Veronica Mars contest and our winner is Glacius. Uh, Glacius, I believe it's Glacius XD. Um, If you are catching the show this evening, email me your address, mtrhost at mytakeradio.com. So our friends at Partners Hub can send you out a uh, Veronica Mars prize pack. Again, please forward your address. I will also be emailing you with the registered email from your comment And, um, hopefully we can get that squared away. If not, then of course we will award the prize to someone else. So please get your information over to me by no later than Sunday. Again, no later than Sunday, please get your address to me so I can get it over to the crew at partners hub. Um, another thing, and I'm going to use this Veronica Mars contest as a great example. Uh, I know a lot of you guys may or may not watch the show and that's fine. So I can understand with regards to participation, but Uh, please take this and take this into consideration with contests. Uh, Participation is key for a couple of different reasons, whether you win or you don't win. uh, The more people that get involved, the cooler stuff we get to give away. Um, As always, that's something to uh, take into consideration. I mean, we, we try to get a lot of cool stuff to give away. I try to go through the MTR prize closet uh, once a week or so. So again, do yourselves a favor when when we're trying to do contests, whether it's an MMA contest, a wrestling contest, a gamer contest, whatever it is, um, you know, be be and try and be involved so that we can get better stuff. I know a lot of the stuff you guys may or may not follow. If you don't, then that, I, that's understandable. But again, take into account that everything that we do is for the benefit of the show and for you guys. We want to get you guys cooler prizes. We want to get you guys uh, better stuff. So hopefully we'll be able to. Uh, try and do that in the near future. Again, I cannot stress it enough. With the Veronica Mars contest, you know we had we had a lot of people checking it out, but not a lot of people getting involved. So, you know, take that into consideration uh, it, for future reference. Again, we're going to try and do more contests in the future. We got a lot of stuff here to give away, and I'm really tired of staring at it all. So, be on the lookout in the coming weeks. We're going to try and do some stuff uh, with our friends at Bello Digital. Hopefully we're going to try and work something out with Loot Crate in the coming weeks. Be on the lookout for that when I interview one of the me- one of the members of the Loot Crate team, along with our affiliates from Royal Flush magazine. That's uh, one of the big news we wanted to share with you guys. We're also going to try and work some stuff out with T-Fury so we can get some promo code so you guys can order some of the cool T-shirts that are worn on air. Be on the lookout for that. Slick just notified me that the call-in is down because uh, why, why would it not be? Why would Blog Talk Radio not have a workin', working call-in this evening? Well, I know Ben is supposed to join us. Hopefully, uh, we can get that resolved and we can bring Ben on board. Uh, actually, uh, Slick, do me a favor uh, if you can. Uh, see if uh, you can have Ben send you his phone number via private message. And um, you can actually see if you can call out via the switchboard. Let me know when you're going to do it. And we can try and have you call him via the switchboard instead of him calling us. Maybe that might work. Uh, Let me know once you have the info and we can take it from there. Uh, Besides uh, the contest, I did want to tell you guys MTR 5.0. I've sent some of the specs out to our staff and um, the guys that have seen it so far are very, very enthused. But what we're going to do, um, one thing, and I, and I know I said I probably wasn't going to do it, but I found uh, that this particular uh, layout comes with a forum built in. Again, not something I'm going to do actively, but it will be there for use. We're going to see how it goes, and if we decide to really take it in that direction, it does come bundled in with the design that we chose. There's some customization that needs to be done, but now based on what we've done, MTR 5.0, should be launching. Uh, we are, what, March 20th? I'd like to say uh, before April is out, we'll be able to get that squared away, and MTR 5.0 will be available to the general public. I do want to extend congratulations to our, our, our colleagues at GFQ. They actually launched their new version of the GFQ Network site. Make sure to check it out, um, gfqlive.tv, for all the live shows. And, of course, we have a live player on mytakeradio.com. And you guys can watch the GFQ shows there as well. Okay, so let's get into it. I heard that. I heard that. I guess Slick is trying to call Ben. (laughs) Thank you, Slick. Let's see how this goes. Hello? Ben. Hello? Ben, can you hear me? Nope. Guess not. I guess that didn't work. Hello? Hello? Are you there? Nope. I can hear, I can hear you, Ben, but clearly Hello? you can. Nope. Clearly not. All right. I got to hang up because Ben's just going to be in space. Yeah, I can't hear you at all. Yeah, all right. We'll try and figure it out. Let me hang that up for now until we can figure this out because why not? Why wouldn't Block Talk Radio work? All right. Ben, try and try and dial in later on. Maybe we'll get it together. If not, then uh, we're going to have to take a rain check for uh, tonight's show. But either way, it's good to have you in the chat. At least you can contribute that way. Anyway, let's not beat this up anymore. Let's try and uh, get through tonight's show. Of course, like I said, our call number is down, but we're going to get into some MMA, shall we? All right, so first and foremost, before we talk about this weekend's UFC card, My Take Radio's MMA segment is brought to you by MMA Warehouse. Get all your favorite rash guards, uh, training gear, and fighter t-shirts at MMAWarehouse.com. Of course, you can find their banners throughout MyTakeRadio.com to order any MMA gear. Also, uh, definitely one of our other advertisers, and I forgot all about it because we only got new assets for them this week, is the UFC store. That's right, the same UFC that runs pretty much all of MMA, Actually, does advertising with My Take Radio. Make sure to check out the UFC store. Of course, you can find their banners throughout our MMA segment as well. All right. So, the big one, first and foremost, is this past weekend's UFC 171 card. And let me tell you guys for a card that some people didn't con- consider was loaded with star power because people were complaining, uh, be advised that it was a spectacular card from start to finish. It was bananas. And, um, the thing that gets me and hold on a minute. I see that slick is, uh, sending me a communique slick is going to try Ben again. So we don't have any awkward moments. Go ahead, slick, try Ben again and see if it works. <laughs> Let's see if it happens. I see that, uh, we got some people in the chat. I see beware 23 is up in here. Definitely uh, nice to see you in here. And he likes my shirt. Yes. Uh, supporting, supporting a little bit of Marvel, uh, Slick is trying Ben again. Let's see if it works. See something. Let's see. Oh, until, until I hear the dial tone, uh, we'll, we'll figure it out. Anyway, this shirt was actually a gift. Um, I don't even remember where it, where it came from. I've seen it in a couple of different places. Um, usually any mall kiosk, you can find it because I've seen similar versions in, in different mall kiosks. So if you want to find this shirt, that's that's your best bet. This particular one, though, isn't the typical, uh, you know, real crummy uh, washing one. Nope. Benny, are you there? I can hear you. I can hear you. It's probably more apropos. I can hear you. Nope. Yes, not. Can't hear you at all. Nope. All right. Can't hear you at all. Rain check, Ben. Rain check. All right, we tried. Anyway, let's let's get into this week's MMA before we go off on a tangent. All right, so UFC 171 history was made. We crowned a brand-new kingpin of the 170-pound division. Now, of course, GSP gave up his belt. Robbie Lawler and Johnny Hendricks were going to sling some leather. It was going to be, I hit you, you hit the ground. And that's pretty much where it was going to go straight Rock'em Sock'em Robots. But before we get into that, I want to pull a couple of other fights that were extremely, extremely enjoyable. Um, first off, I definitely want to talk about the ladies once again delivering the goods, Jessica Andrade and Raquel Pennington. Of course, Raquel Pennington was on The Ultimate Fighter, and um, she actually was on the losing end by split decision. Jessica Andrade definitely looked very good, especially in that first round. She attempted a nasty guillotine uh, but Rocky Pennington defended it nicely and it was just Jessica Andrade all the way through uh, using different, you know, different techniques, but really trying to work that guillotine in. Um, I do feel Andrade definitely took two out of the three rounds, um, you know, on the on the. With regards to Raquel Pennington's performance, I think she looked really good in there, especially in that third round came out swinging. Uh, the ladies continued to deliver the goods and they continued to impress. Um, Another ultimate fighter standout, of course, Kelvin Gastelum taking on a longtime fixture in the UFC, Rick Story, in a super competitive fight. Uh, Gastelum looked really good at 170, real nasty coming in there, showing uh, a lot of diversity to his striking, um, a lot of great technique. And I really, really like this fight. Like I said, it was a, a, a fantastic fight. It didn't have the ending that I was good, that I was hoping for, uh, but Kelvin Gastelum did get the get the win via split decision. So again, not the victory I wanted. I I, I was kind of rooting for Rick Story, but um, still a solid fight overall. I wonder what's gonna happen with Kelvin Gastelum now that you know he's won the Ultimate Fighter. Got a couple got a couple fights under his belt. Will we start seeing him on the pay per view side of things, or is he gonna be stuck in, in mid card hell? where he's been for the, for the last couple of months. I'm hoping to see him start getting some pay-per-view paydays. I mean, he's a good fighter, and it was a solid uh, main event for the prelims. Uh, on the pay-per-view side of things, though, Nikita Krylov took on OSP in a beautiful, beautiful display of submission fighting as OSP takes the victory with a Jason Von flu choke. It was, it was beautiful technique. Uh, they exchanged some kicks. OSP took him down. Krylov tried to to you know tie up at the head, but OSP got uh bot it, OSP's body got into side control. At which point he locked in a nasty Von Flu choke, and that was it. OSP takes it a minute and twenty nine in the first round. Another fight with title ramifications and and placement in the welterweight division was, of course, Lightning Hector Lombard taking on Jake Shields. Now Jake Shields been getting um, a bit of a, of a I I don't want to say he's been getting shit on, but a lot of people feel that Jake Shields appeal has kind of taken a hit as of late. Uh, Hector Lombard, of course, coming from Bellator, known for his tremendous knockout power, incredibly dangerous guy. Originally, he was fighting at 185, cut down to 170. The guy is a problem. He really put in a lot of work uh, using his judo. And it was funny because he was using his judo to take it to Jake Shields, overpowering Jake Shields in the exchanges and it was just a complete and utter uh, just a i don't even want to say it was a lopsided victory but i definitely i definitely feel that Hector Lombard given his size is going to be a problem at welterweight because he's a big 170 and that's the problem a lot of these guys they're very deceptive there you know you got to cut down to 170 me i right now i i walk around around i'm about 230 right now uh 230 235 on any given day it's like if I had to cut down to say two oh five, it would just be it would probably be the uh, an easier cut than coming down to say one eighty five one seventy. Of course, for my height, according to you know medical professionals, I'm supposed to be about one fifty. Now, if you want to see some straight uh, Dallas Buyers Club Matthew McConaughey AIDS patient skinniness, imagine me at one hundred and fifty pounds. It would never fucking happen, but. Hector Lombard dropping down to 170, definitely a great move, and he really did overpower Jake Shields in a lot of the exchanges. I do feel that he's he's walking around saying that he wants a title opportunity. I do think his performance was good, but I think he needs one more fight. Uh, maybe maybe it, I would have said with the with uh, the the loser of Carlos Condit, Tyron Woodley, and then that would have been, or, or actually, with the winner of Carlos Condit, Tyron Woodley, and then that would be. A contender fight, because that's the kind of that's the kind of progression you want you want to get in there and fight a guy who's this close to contention, not to say that Jake shields isn't close to contention, but he's just he's not the same caliber of fighter and and I think part of it, and a lot of people are going to say that this was an issue, you know the passing of his father, I think still still is affecting him personally and psychologically, and I think that's a big factor. Um, I, you know, like I said, I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of Jake Shields. I mean, when you look at the scrap pack and the guys from Stockton, you know, I'm a fan of the Diaz brothers. I, I vary between El Nino, but Jake Shields, I was never really super into because I always felt that Jake Shields was a little overhyped in my opinion, especially in Force. And now that you have him in, in, you know, in upper echelon competition, it's not the same thing. Again, I could be wrong. And I know some people are going to disagree and they're going to be like, you know, Rich, you're full of shit. Jake Shields is a talented guy, but it was definitely a more a more uh, impressive performance from Hector Lombard. Again, no KO, no submission, but a solid performance nonetheless. Of course, uh, the original yes man himself, Diego Sanchez, uh, for those of you that think that Daniel Bryan is the one that started the yes movement, Diego Sanchez was the originator of the yes chant, and you can look that up on YouTube with Diego Sanchez coming to the ring, chanting yes, as he came to the ring and that was just something that and daniel bryans admitted it in numerous interviews that diego sanchez was his inspiration for that so before anybody goes and says daniel bryan inve- he invented the yes movement i don't know what the fuck you're talking about man you're full of shit no diego sanchez was that man now unfortunately diego sanchez was not that man on saturday night as he actually lost his fight via unanimous decision to miles jury miles jury looked good in every round definitely a lot of striking. Um, He was really working uh, a lot of angles, especially he actually took down Diego Sanchez, which I was shocked about in the first round. I was like, holy shit, he took him down. What the hell happened? Um, You know, then in the second round, same thing, jury uh, working a lot of great strikes. He got a really nasty elbow and an uppercut to close out round two in the third round. Again, um, you know, miles jury with the takedowns working the takedowns it was it was, you know, it was just his night. Diego Sanchez was on the losing end. Um, one one fight that the result was just incredibly it was just a sad result to see. Carlos Condit, Tyron Woodley, um, everybody expected fireworks in this fight. Tyron Woodley, you know, big 170 pound monster coming in there uh, to take on Carlos Condit, who, of course, the natural born killer. Always exciting to watch unless you're a Nate Diaz fan, which in which case you have uh, Nick Diaz fan. Excuse me. You have a different opinion of Carlos Condit as a whole. Uh, the the terms uh, running uh, scared bitch usually come to mind. But Carlos Condit, intelligent fighter, went in there, tried to really work it against Tyron Woodley. Tyron Woodley, again, a, a big one seventy like Hector Lombard, and the fight ended in in just the worst way possible. Uh, Carlos Condit was throwing a, a series of kicks, and Tyron Woodley caught him with a with a big right. At which point, Woodley took him down. And, um, you know, Carlos Condit started wincing in pain. The ref stood him up, and then when they stood him up, T. Wood hit him with a kick to the knee. Carlos went down, and that was it. It was an injury stoppage. Tyron Woodley takes victory via TKO two minutes in round two. Now, with regards to what happened to Carlos Condit, we'll be discussing that later on in the segment. But if there's one thing, and this is something that, that bothers me, especially if, you, if you're a hardcore MMA fan, or or even to some degree a casual fan and you pay for a pay-per-view and you're a fan of a certain guy and he gets hurt mid-fight or the fight just ends abruptly, you feel very, very let down. I was hoping that this fight would go to distance because, again, this, uh, this fight and the Hector Lombard fight I think were the fights that were going to pretty much map out the next set of challengers for either Johnny Hendricks or Robbie Lawler. Of course, seeing uh, T. Wood get the victory that way you know, he made a case for himself and he's been very vocal about wanting a title opportunity. And I have issue with this because you want a title opportunity for a guy that, that whose knee you blew out. Not to say that you should or shouldn't have, you know, gone for, for the strike to the knee. You know, it's it's a fight. You're in the thick of it. You're going in for the kill. You're going to smell weakness. And if you don't capitalize on it, you're going to lose. That's, that's not my thing. But for you to sit there and start saying, you know, I want a title opportunity, I want a title shot. It's like, dude, you want it because the guy, you know, he fell, he hurt himself. Same thing with Hector Lombard. If you now with the with with that with that said, Hector Lombard, Tyron Woodley, winner gets welterweight opportunity. That's the easiest way to do this. There's no other way. Nobody should get hot shotted into a title into a title opportunity because. You know, you, you, you should have one more fight. Now, of course, Nick Diaz has been very verbal about wanting to fight Johnny Hendricks. He feels that he's the guy that, that, that should be the face of 170, uh, the face of the welterweight division. And here's the thing. A lot of people are saying, yeah, but, you know, Nick Diaz coming off two losses, blah, blah, blah. He, he's, he's the, he, you know, he's not coming. He should fight a fight before getting a title opportunity. Here's the thing. There's two, uh, there's two schools of thought here. And the first school of thought, while I pop this monster open, uh, the first school of thought is that Nick Diaz should come back and fight either T-Wood or Hector and then fight the winner of Hendricks and Lawler. That's the first school of thought. That's what makes sense. From a monetary standpoint, from a swimming in money like Scrooge McDuck standpoint, you kind of want to put Nick Diaz in there because... People will tune in. Hardcore Nick Diaz fans will tune in because they say, "Oh man, you know Diaz is going to fight for the belt." Uh, casual fans they know that Nick Diaz likes to spark shit up. He likes to he likes to mix it up. He likes to talk shit, and that's great from a from a marketing standpoint, getting people interested in the fight. Johnny Hendricks, Robbie Lawler. I'm a, I'm a fan of both guys. Lawler more so than Hendricks, uh, just because Lawler's come he's come a long way from Force. Etc. Etc. You know Lawler. Lawler's a guy. He's a fucking veteran, and I expected him and Johnny Hendricks to go in there and beat the holy, the holy shit out of each other. And man, did they not disappoint! This was, without a doubt, one of the fights of 2014. It was a slugfest. I'm talking about nasty, nasty, nasty slugfest. Nasty exchanges. These were guys that we're hitting with lethal intentions. There was no, you know, we're going to feel each other out. It's, we're going to run in there and we're going to beat the piss out of out of each other until, you know, one of us is dead and one of us is champion and sure as shit. That's how it went. It was just a a beautiful display of technique from both guys. Um, Hendricks, definitely the aggressor, but Robbie Lawler was going to, he was going to scrap all the way to the end. And he did. Uh, Johnny Hendricks takes the fight via unanimous decision which some people felt was questionable. I felt that Lawler definitely took rounds three and four. I got to give, you know, I would have rather a split decision, but to give it unanimous, not, not really digging unanimous decision. Nonetheless, I mean, Hendricks definitely took uh, more rounds. That first round, uh, pretty good. Uh, second round, Lawler definitely started mixing it up with the strikes. Uh, Hendricks definitely was tagging Lawler more. In every exchange, it was it was definitely um, in terms of more strikes. I think Hendrix was landing more, but you also have to take into consideration that power shots. I kind of felt Lawler was hitting uh, more power shots. That round four, uh, with Hendricks almost grabbing uh, getting the guillotine in before the horn sounded, some people kind of felt that that could have gone either way with that. But again, it was it was a great fight, a tremendous performance. Your new Welterweight champion, Johnny Hendricks, of course. This opens up a ton, a ton of potential fight opportunities. You could do Hendricks and Lawler, too. You could do you know, Hendricks and, and Woodley, Hendricks and, and Lombard, uh, Hendricks, of course, and Nick Diaz, which pretty much is what Nick Diaz is trying to get himself into. He's trying to use the uh, the, chale, the chale talk myself into an opportunity defense. Uh, Val was saying, I say make him go through both, then, then the title. Two straight losses? Nah, man. Earn your shit. That's true. And, and you know, I understand that, but we also got to look at it like this is a business. This is about making money. This is about making bread. And Dana White's all about making money. And sometimes he will make fights that people are going to be like, why the fuck would you do that? See, Chael and John Jones. People are like, yo, how's Chael fighting for the belt? Because, you know, Chael stepped up when nobody else did. And in terms of a financial windfall, for the UFC and for both fighters, that fight made sense at the time. Did I agree? Not really, for obvious reasons. But you know, Dana White's pockets and his wallet definitely did not did not disagree with that. Val says that Dana fed Chael to John Jones. That that can be said, but you know what? You have to give credit where credit is due. That Chael Sonnen stepped up when nobody else would to challenge John Jones during that time. You got to that's that's kind of how it works. I mean, the reason Chael gets opportunities sometimes one is because he talks himself into them, two is because he steps in as many times as he can to fight whoever the guy was going to fight Daniel Cormier when Rashad Evans bowed out and he stepped in. He was like, "Yo, you know, I'll fight Daniel Cormier. And they were like, chill, dude, chill. You know, like that's the kind of stuff I'm talking about, that dedication to go in there and get the job done and do what you got to do. And that's, you know, that's part of being a professional. And it's, you know, it's being a company. Exactly. bow said it. Chael, Chael being a company man. And, you know, that can be a gift and a curse because being a company man can sometimes hurt you down the road. I mean, look at John Jones. John Jones, a great example. Some people feel that, you know, he's not he's not a company man. And you shouldn't be in every instance, because there are instances where I got to give, you know, where it's like, oh, you're going to fight this guy now. As a, as as you being an employee of the organization, you gotta fight who you gotta fight. But occasionally I, I do gotta say, like Jones fighting Tashera. Okay, Jones fighting Tashera. It, 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 it's fine on paper, but it should have been Jones Gustafson too. Gustafson shouldn't have had to take a second fight and then fight for the belt. That's that's just how I feel. I think that as close as that fight was, it shouldn't it shouldn't have been mired in in you know oh another fight before before we have a rematch and that's the the only thing that kind of irks me but other than that i do feel that you know sometimes being a company man is gonna is gonna hurt you it it is gonna hurt you but what can you do all right so let's talk about the rest of the mma news for this week because a lot of crazy stuff went down that i do want to discuss uh first and foremost let's talk about some fight bonuses a lot of guys got paid uh, Saturday night, Dennis Bermudez took the first performance bonus. Oven St. Pru, uh, Oven St. Pru, excuse me, OSP. He took a performance bonus with his beautiful Von Flute choke. Uh, next up, fight of the night. Well-deserved, well-earned. Robbie Lawler, Johnny Hendricks, taking 50 grand for their troubles. Well-deserved, fellas. Um, Johnny Hendricks, for those of you that did not know, fought that fight with a torn bicep. He actually tore the bicep before his fight. And um, he went in there with a torn bicep and still gave the performance that he gave. So, again, a lot of heart, a lot of, a lot of willpower, definitely a lot of balls, a ballsy thing to do going in there with a torn bicep. Uh, he's going under the knife. It's probably going to be about two to three months of recovery time for him. But, again, all the strikes that he landed, all the technique that he showed against Robbie Lawler with a torn bicep, the guy, the guy earned that belt. He did earn it. You know, going out there having a war with a guy who's super dangerous, with a torn bicep, not making weight, you know, having trouble with the cut—it's—it's it's insanity. It is insanity. But again, definitely much respect to Johnny Hendricks, uh, Carlos Condit. His knee injury—he uh, suffered a small meniscus tear and uh, a torn a—and they're also saying he might have also a torn ACL. Um, he will be going under the knife. I'm sure his recovery—it's a long road for him. And, um, it's, it's unfortunate. I wish Carlos Kahn did a speedy recovery, a uh, great staple at 170, a good guy to have in there, uh, always gives us exciting fights. And again, for the fight to end the way it did and him to, to be out the, to go out the way he did, you know, it's, it's unfortunate and hopefully he'll be back sooner rather than later. Now you guys are going to get a little confused with this next bit of news, but CM Punk is in this week's MMA segment. Now you're probably asking yourself, Rich, why is CM Punk being discussed in the MMA segment when CM Punk is a wrestling guy? Well, uh, a couple of things. First off, CM Punk, of course, huge MMA fan, has been making the rounds lately, uh, showed up at uh, the last UFC event, and oddly enough, Dana White said, uh, you know, Dana White said, and here's the funny thing, he did an interview and and he was asked, oh, you know, how do you feel about CM Punk? Do you think CM Punk has a place in the organization? So... When asked about it, he said, we have literally never talked about business. I like CM Punk. He's a fan. I've heard rumors out there, and he and I have been around each other and been together, but he has never, ever, ever, ever talked about it. I've never talked to him about wrestling. He's never talked to me about fighting. But I would be open to it. He said, yeah, I guess if he wanted to fight, I'd talk to him about it. Now, here's the thing. Of course, the big thing with CM Punk, everybody's up in arms trying to figure out what's going to happen with him, whether he's gone, whether he's not gone whether Vince gave him time off or not. And it's very interesting because there's something that um, a conclusion that, w- well, uh, a piece of information that was brought to my attention during a meeting with um, Andrew from GFQ uh, Sunday when we had lunch. And I want to talk about that because that, that's a very, very, very interesting concept. So we'll get to that in the wrestling segment. But again, Dana White definitely entertaining it, kind of fueling the fires if CM Punk wanted to fight, he could. Uh, with regards to that, I do think that if CM Punk went in there, dedicated himself, I, I feel that he could probably come in there and fight. I'm curious as to what division he would probably be good in. I kind of want to say he could fight at 170, I think. Because when you look at him, you, I think CM Punk walks around maybe 185, 200. He might, he might be a good 170 if he goes in there. Um, of course, if, if, he, if he were smart and fought in the UFC, he'd come out to cult of personality and people would love that shit immediately, but that's that's a different story altogether. But again, CM Punk, uh, definitely highly sought after in different circles. Obviously, from a wrestling from a wrestling standpoint, they'd love to have him. MMA, he would probably make a killing. Uh, with regards to whether he'd be a viable a viable fighter, we we it's one thing that we ta- a lot of us talked about when we were kids about you know who would be uh, who who would be a a, a guy that you wouldn't want to fight a wrestler you wouldn't want to fight. And sometimes those are things that, um, that are surprising. They're definitely surprising. And Mortis is saying that he saw him on The Talking Dead and he looked like he lost some weight. He did. He actually looked very healthy. I think he didn't have the bags under his eyes. He didn't look fucked up. So, you know, may- maybe this is good for him. Maybe this is good for him. But again, I digress. We'll, we'll get into that in the wrestling segment. Uh, another thing I wanted to talk about, and, and Ronda Rousey's a big topic of discussion. Uh, first up, we all know Ronda Rousey has two, uh, three fights that everybody wants to see. Obviously, her and Kat Zingano, number one. Her and Cyborg is number two. The other fight that's been on and off, on and off, and the flames have been fanned and not fanned is Gina Carano. Now, of course, Gina Carano's fight, uh, Gina Carano last fought against Cyborg, then she went on to make movies and, you know, have her voice dubbed over in Haywire, but a couple of interesting things have happened. Uh, Dana White actually referenced that she has four fights on her strike force contract. That's number one. Uh, number two, Gina Carano, if, you, if you're a fan of hers on Facebook, she, she posted on the Facebook page or maybe her publicist was like, hey, that sounds pretty cool. You never know. And it was, it was an article about her fighting again in the UFC. And she, um, it was funny because it had a winky face. Now, a couple of things. We all know Gina fought at 145. She had trouble making 145. Reason was, big old fun bags definitely are a factor when you're trying to make weight. Now, the cut to 135, I definitely don't think she could do it. But either way, um, Ronda actually said in an interview that she would be willing to fight at 145. She said, and I quote, I'd be willing to fight her at 145. She said, Uh, you know, for Gina, there would be exceptions that I would make and that I wouldn't for anyone else. Now, very interesting because, oh, shut up, Jay, asshole. (laughs) Jackass. Now, fueling the fires, fueling the fires, obviously. But again, if she'd go up to 145, that would be a super fight. Um, and that would make a lot of money. It would make a lot of money. Now, of course, Mortis, Mortis said it, but not for Cyborg, of course. And, and, and it's funny because that was a that's pretty much what a lot of people are saying. Like, yo, you go up to 145 to fight her, a chick who hasn't fought in how long? And you're not going to fight the chick who may who's been calling you out on the regular. Very, very interesting commentary, especially on Twitter. Um, a lot a lot of Twitter commentary with regards to that. Now, My stance on it is that if you were going to fight her at 145 and it was because she left as a winner, but she was on the losing end against Cyborg, it's very, 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 very different. You know, it's very different. Now, can it happen? Will it happen? Who the fuck knows? But the way I see it is you shouldn't say that you're willing to make a concession for a woman who hasn't fought. In X amount of time. Now Val brings up a valid point. Jean is the reason why Ronda started MMA, and that and that's true. You know, there's there's some symbolism there. She's a pioneer, and that's great. But you're saying that you'd be willing to go up to 145 to fight her, but you made a big stink about Cyborg by coming down to fight you, which again, it's a dream fight. it's just it's just craziness. But again. The other the other story about Ronda we'll get into later on, and that involves her and the WWE, and I'm sure Jay is going to be he's going to have some some insight for that. I'm sure I'm sure the chat is going to love this. But uh, before I get into that, I got to talk about Dennis Seaver, who tested positive for HCG after his fight um, this past December against Manny Gambirian. In that particular fight, uh, it was it was funny because he went and um, you know he dropped. Seaver dropped a featherweight in 2012. Then he had a fight of the night. He went on a nine and two run, got the fight of the night TKO loss against Cub Swanson. Then he took the unanimous decision against Manny Gambirian. But it turns out that in that fight, he tested positive for HCG. Now it's funny because HCG is a a natural hormone in men and women, but it's also listed as a banned substance because it's usually used in addition to, to steroids. HCG is usually given as a fertility drug for women and for men, it is being used to boost testosterone. It's also used as a weight loss aid, according to the FDA, but it's not approved for over the counter use. Now, a couple of things. First, it wasn't revealed how much HCG he had in the system, but he will be getting a temporary suspension for that. He's going to get a chance to appeal. And if he should get a full suspension, then, you know, his win will be changed to a no contest. So there you have it. Matty Ramirez in 2009 was suspended for 50 games because he tested positive for HCG. Make of that what you will. But again, you piss hot, you're going to get bagged. They're not playing around anymore. In some fight card news, UFC Fight Night 40 is complete going down May 19th. Matt Brown, Eric Silva is your main event. Lorenz Larkin, Constance Philippou, is your co-main. Definitely going to be a solid card. Uh, Darren Kirkshank taking on Eric Koch. Uh, Soa Pelé is also on that card. Ed Herman is on the prelims fighting El Sapo, Rafael Natal. Uh, Manny Gambirian will be on the prelims on the fight pass, and he's going to be taking on Nick Lentz. Again, UFC Fight Night 40, uh, May 19th from the U.S. Bank Arena in Cincinnati. Michael Johnson is also in the news this week, another Ultimate Fighter contestant, because of his uh, fight with Melvin Gillard. He actually stated that he would like to fight Nate Diaz. So, very interesting. He's calling out Nate Diaz. He feels that he could take him, and that's who he wants for his next opponent. Michael Johnson definitely coming into his own, making a, a, a very good name for himself in the organization, calling out the always vocal and always entertaining Nate Diaz. Should be a badass fight. I would love to see that. Um, I think Michael Johnson and Nate Diaz would be an an awesome fight. And hell, you might even use that as a fight to start looking for potential title opportunities. But we'll see how it pans out. Johnson, like I said, very vocal, wants to fight Nate Diaz. And fuck, I want to see that. That's going to be a problem any which way you slice it. One guy who's getting back into it, uh, Ben Henderson, was announced to be facing uh, Rustam Kabilov for... UFC's Albuquerque debut on June 7th. A lot of people are kind of bent out of shape that the UFC is not fighting in Phoenix. Uh, you know, Ben Henderson's hometown, but instead we'll be heading to Albuquerque. Uh, nonetheless, I think that's a good fight. Ben Henderson's kind of he's kind of in flux right now after what went down with the last couple of title opportunities. Uh, definitely got to get back in his winning ways. Uh, Rustam Kabilov, he's 19 and 7. Uh, definitely a dangerous guy. It's going to be an awesome fight. Again, June 7th, that goes down. Now, here's the other bit of Ronda News. Uh, TMZ actually was talking to her with regards to being involved with competing at WrestleMania. Now, you're probably raising an eyebrow like, what the fuck is going on? Here's, Here's the kicker. She said, can't do it this year, but she would love to do it at WrestleMania 31 in California, and she'd like to have her four, uh, her other three associates, Shayna Baszler, Marina Schaefer, and Jessamyn Duke there, since they call themselves the four horsewomen of MMA. Uh, Ronda Rousey is a hardcore wrestling fan and um, takes her nickname from the one and only Rowdy Piper. So very, very interesting. She says that she would like to compete at WrestleMania. Of course, Jay, no more Rousey, stay out of the WWE. Now, here's, it, allow, allow me to, to, to give you this nugget. Ronda Rousey is an accomplished fighter. Mainstream appeal. Don't you think for one second that if she transitioned to professional wrestling, that she would make a fuckload of money? Not only that, but she would be, she would be an asset to the WWE. Here's a, here's a girl. She's an Olympian. Now, here's the best part. An, Olympi- an Olympian. She is your female Kurt Angle, in theory. She's an Olympian, marketable, looks good. What do you think? I mean, not to I, I, look. I'm not saying that she would that she would have to leave the UFC, but she wants to. It, uh, it's going to be WrestleMania 31 is going to be in Santa Clara, Dark Helmet. If if you're near there, it's going to be in Santa Clara, California. So mark that down if you want to go and check that out. But again, let's 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 think about this for a second. You you have. Uh, a, a mixed martial artist who is an accomplished athlete, mainstream appeal, movie star, and she wants to come into the organization and 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 become involved and do something. From 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 a, from a, a monetary perspective, Vince McMahon would be an idiot to not entertain that, considering that it's also good for the UFC. Now, the guys in the chat. A couple of them are saying different, different things. A GFQ Sting is saying, what would they do with her? Val says, teach them divas what physicality is. Mortis says she would tear up those divas in the WWE. Jay says, I would hate her in the WWE so much. Why? Because it wouldn't be fair to the female wrestlers. This is true. It wouldn't be fair. But think about, think about this, Jay. You have validity. You have validation for your women's division. Let's be honest. The Divas division isn't exactly chock full of of of, you know, mainstream appeal that the mainstream appeal of the Divas division has gone by the wayside. The last diva that really mainstreamed and I'm talking about really mainstreamed was Kelly Kelly to a degree. She was one of the first that you started seeing on the regular Maxim here, there, you know, really being promoted as a mainstream diva obviously because she was blonde and cute, the usual. Now, you know, the way, the way I see it is, yeah, everybody can say, oh, the Bellas, they have the mainstream appeal. They only have the mainstream appeal because of the E-Network. When you get into bed with the E-Network, they're going to promote the shit out of you because they're, they're benefiting from you. Let's be honest. If you strip away total divas, what diva on the roster right now has any sort of mainstream appeal. That's it. I'm, I'm curious. I, I want some, one of you guys to tell me that, that there's a diva on this roster right now, right now, that is mainstream ready. And when I mean mainstream ready, I'm talking about, you know, showing up at press events. I'm talking about doing real movies. Not, not you know, made for TV movies, not straight to DVD, not WWE films. I'm talking about real movies, real potential. I, I, anyone, Bueller, Bueller, anybody. Exactly. And so you know, it's very, it's very easy to say, and and you know, I understand from from Jay's standpoint where he's coming from. You know, because Jay, Jay, Jay is a purist, and I respect that. But from a mainstream standpoint, the amount of money that can be made across the board is insane. Think about this. It's a little bit, it's a little bit of, of mainstreaming for the WWE. It allows WWE and UFC to do something together. And above all, you're not – it's like when Rampage showed up in the WWE. They didn't say, oh, you know, UFC competitor. They were like, oh, mixed martial artist, you know, Rampage Jackson. Again, not something that, I, that I'm saying is going to happen, but something that can guarantee money. It's the same thing with Chael. If Chael has to drop out of the UFC due to TRT, Chael can do professional wrestling. GFQ Sting, do Vincent Hunter even know who she is? Yup, uh, Triple H has been at a couple of UFC events. As a matter of fact, Triple H trains at Caesar Gracie Jiu-Jitsu. So... Again, just just something to to consider with regards to that. Triple H does he he has shown up at, at Caesar Gracie Jiu Jitsu. It's been said that he trains at Caesar Gracie Jiu Jitsu. It seems to be the uh, the de facto uh, mixed martial arts training facility for WWE wrestlers. Of course, Eve, formerly of the WWE, is married to one of the Gracies or engaged to one of the Gracies, and she also trains jiu jitsu over there. And she actually has worked with the Divas as well. So. There's, there's a lot of cross-promotion, a lot of great opportunities there. But again, nothing is complete. Nothing is official. It's just something that she expressed. And I'm sure that, that Vince and company are, are definitely aware of her desire for that. In some other women's MMA news, the next season of The Ultimate Fighter, which is going to be all women, will have its tryouts beginning Monday, April 28th. The teams for this season will be coached by Anthony Pettis and Gilbert Melendez. There you have it. This is going to be the first all-women season, which will crown the first inaugural women's strawweight champion. The women will be 115 pounds. uh, That's 115-pound division, the strawweights, and you'll be able to start uh, getting involved with that April 28th. If there's any ladies that listen to the show that are mixed martial artists, want to go try out candidates, of course, must be female. (laughs) We don't don't need a, a Fallon Fox situation. Uh, Must be female between 21 and 34 and have the legal ability to live and work in the U.S., plus have MMA fight experience with a verifiable winning record. There you have it. Women, 115-pound division to crown the brand-new strawweight champion for the next season of The Ultimate Fighter. Thus far, the UFC has signed 11 women to compete this season, but they want to fill five remaining slots. There you have it. I think one of the things with that season, there's a lot of awesome fighters there. Uh, Felice Herrig, uh, Carla Sparza, um, Rose Namajunas, so many, so many awesome 115 pound women that are going to compete in that season of the Ultimate Fighter. You're going to see some nasty fights and you're going to see a lot of infighting because some of those women have legit beef from other organizations. So. I think that's going to be a season that's going to that's gonna run with the ball. In some other news, the uh, Ultimate Fighter Season 19 coaches, which are Frankie Edgar and BJ Penn, will fight during the Tough 19 finale on July 6th in Vegas. Of course, uh, the Ultimate Fighter excuse me, Season 19 will be on Fox Sports 1 and will be debuting later on this year with the finals again going down in July. Oh, excuse me. Got to talk about Holly Holm, who everybody was thinking was going to be the next new signee by the UFC. Turns out that is not the case. Everybody was was on pins and needles waiting to, for the announcement that Holly Holm was signed. Turns out that is not the case. On the contrary, the UFC is no longer interested. Dana White said that he is not interested whatsoever. It seems that the uh, meeting between Holly Holm's representatives and the UFC did not go well. Odds are she probably went in there asking for a shitload of money, trying to play it off like she's Fedor, and uh, it's not the case. You know, you may be undefeated. You may be out there making a name for yourself, but you can't come in, A, demanding a shitload of money, especially without getting a couple of fights under your belt, and B, even if you came in and you got a title opportunity, it's... the money will always be an issue. So, the Holly Holm situation right now is dead in the water. Anybody who was looking forward to seeing her in the UFC or fighting for the championship, it's not happening. So you can just put that on pause. According to what they were saying, um, you know, uh, there, there's a couple of different things that Dana White didn't like the way that they conducted business. Uh, you know, talking about negotiations. You know, Dana White's a very, very particular guy when it comes to that. We all know this from the Fedor negotiations, how, how soured he was with regards to that. Uh, Holly Holm definitely has one, you know, she has one fight on the books already, and that's April 4th against Juliana Werner. That's going to be taking place in Legacy Fighting Championships in uh, Holly Holm's hometown of Albuquerque, New Mexico. So again, even if she was signed by the UFC, she still has one fight on April 4th. This next bit of news, I'm a little bummed out about hearing this, but you know, I definitely got to give credit, and this is much-deserved credit because this guy, he, he breaks a ton of news on Twitter, uh, very, very active on the MMA scene, and that is Front Row Brian. Front Row Brian on Twitter, if there's one guy who provides great insight into MMA and gives you guys the goods from a rumor standpoint that always pan out, Front Row Brian is that guy. And a couple of days back, Front row Brian said that Dwayne Bang Ludwig was leaving Team Alpha Male. Now, for those of you that don't know, uh, Dwayne Bang Ludwig went into Team Alpha Male in December of 2012. And ever since he arrived there, all the Alpha Male guys have been have really been performing better, better striking, uh, better training camps. The guys looked amazing out of that camp. Their are striking really, really improved. These guys from Alpha Male, always great wrestlers, but they're striking definitely went up to another level as it turns out it seems that there were some some issues I most likely it has to do with money if it doesn't then I'm you know of course I'll say that it doesn't but usually things like this pan out from a money situation and uh, Dwayne Bang Ludwig will be leaving team alpha male to actually put an ad on their site looking for a new coach and they are looking to get somebody in there sooner rather than later they want to fill the position no later than May 24th of course, when you think Team Alpha Male, first guy you think of, Uriah Faber. Then you got Joe Benavides, TJ Dillashaw, Chris Holdsworth, Andre Philly, and a host of other guys that we haven't even seen yet. But, you know, Uriah Faber, definitely the most recognizable face out of Team Alpha Male. It bums me out to hear that, that, that Dwayne Ludwig is leaving. Uh, definitely bummed that not a lot of people went out there and credited Front Row Bryan. Front Row Bryan is, is a great dude to follow. Uh, one of one of the one of the guys that really really tells it like it is um, no no sugarcoating the guy is definitely one of the guys I recommend following if you're an MMA fan and a Twitter user definitely props to uh, front row Brian tomorrow night we got the Bellator 115 actually nope we do have a Bellator card tomorrow night but it's not Bellator 115 that is April 4th with Czech Congo Vitali Minnikov for the heavyweight title. Of course, the main card Spike TV, 9 p.m. on April 4th. Uh, the prelims will be on Spike.com beginning at 7 o'clock. Another big fight announcement: Gayguard Mousasi, the Dream Catcher, will be meeting Mark Munoz for UFC Fight Night 41. Uh, that's taking place May 31st at the O2 Arena in Germany. Of course, the show will stream on UFC Fight Pass, and in the U.S. and you know some people are going to be pissed about that, but again, it's ten bucks. It's either pay 60 for a card you may not like or pay 10 and get a card that's pretty decent. It, it, it's, it's, it's a win-win for everybody. People complain, oh, man, you know, $60, that card sucked. How about $10 and you get decent cards? You know, it is what it is. Uh, last but not least, like I said, to wrap things up, Bellator 113 is tomorrow night. Uh, the big one, Attila Vay taking on Emmanuel Newton for the Bellator light heavyweight title. We also get the lightweight tournament opening round. Marson held, taking on Rodrigo Cavallero. Tim Welch, Derek Campos, uh, Patriki Pitbull will be taking on David Rickles, and of course, Spike.com will have your prelims beginning, I believe, at 7 p.m., the main card, 9 p.m. on Spike TV. <sighs> Anderson Silva. We all know Anderson Silva suffered that terrible, terrible leg injury in his fight with Chris Weidman. Everybody is extremely impressed with Silva's recovery, how well he's been doing, um, how fast he's recovering. Dana White even went as far as saying that Anderson Silva would fight in the UFC before 2014 was over. Sadly, that is not the case. Turns out that Anderson Silva is not realistically hopeful that he will be back in 2014. On the contrary, he says that he is focusing on recuperating and is targeting a 2015 return. You know, he said uh, he did an interview with uh, Combat Magazine, uh, with Combat's website, and uh, it was translated by MMA Fighting's Guillermo Cruz. He said, these rumors that I'm fighting at UFC's 181 card or any event around that date are not true. This year is over for me. There's a chance I'll be fighting in the first half of 2015 so there you have it anderson silva not fighting in 2014 looking into 2015 um he also said that his days as a champion are definitely behind him he said anderson's phase of champions is over fighting for the title is a little far away for me that's what he said so there you have it anderson Silva's probably looking to come in take a lot of the payday fights maybe we'll get a couple of super fights in there and he'll probably just get those fights in collect his money, and walk off into the sunset. And you know what? I wouldn't even feel bad about it whether he came back and did a super fight at 205 or a super fight at 170 or a couple of fights in between. First off, he's given his body to this sport, including his fucking leg. So let the guy recover and stop jumping and, and pushing for him to come back before he's ready. Number two, let the man come and go on his own terms. The guy really he you know, he's been He's been a beast ever since he's been in the organization, whether it's ripping guys apart in title fights or just just being an ambassador for the sport in in his homeland of Brazil. The guys earned it. Let him come back on his own terms. 2015 is fine. There's plenty of guys that can step up. You can create a lot of stars All right now. This is a prime opportunity for the guys at 185 at middleweight to make a statement for themselves, to become more recognized, more well known and above all else more entertaining so please this is an era and we were talking about this a couple of weeks back this is an era of change for mixed martial arts much like it's an era of change for professional wrestling a lot of the old guard a lot of the guys that we've all watched growing up you know the gsps uh you know the anderson silvas the fedors those guys they're they're all they're all retiring and going off into the sunset and you know what this is prime opportunity to create new stars and create guys that will go in there and and really make your organization go to the next level. So if the guy can't come back in 2014, I think he's earned it. Simple as that. All right, guys, that's going to wrap up this week's MMA segment. Let's get into some wrestling news, shall we? We want the gold sucker. Hulk Hogan. We're coming for you, nigga. My Take Radio's wrestling segment is brought to you by wweshop.com. Save $10 on orders of $70 or more by using the promo code wwesave10. Again, orders of $70 or more, you can save $10 by using the promo code wwesave10. You can also find the banner with that promo code on mytakeradio.com. All right, so let's talk about Raw this week, and there is a lot to discuss. Let me tell you how crazy it was. I got a call from Josh, one of our writers, about the ending of Raw the next day. And he he was very, very, very annoyed with the way it went. And he's like, dude, you know, what'd you think of that ending? That ending was bullshit, blah, blah, blah. And I'm really, really looking forward to discussing that because the ending of Raw, at first glance, you're going to get pissed off. The ending of Monday Night Raw is definitely going to make you look at the fucking TV and want to reel back and put your fist through it. Especially if you're a Daniel Bryan fan. Primarily because of how it ended. But there's 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 a lot of rationale that we got to discuss. There's a lot of rationale we got to discuss. Jay feels that the segment ran too long. That is definitely part of it. But there's there's a couple of things. First up, of course, Triple H opened up the segment. Opened up Raw with his segment. And it was pretty much... Because, you know... There's one thing about Triple H, he, he comes out, he's good for his promos, but the problem is that he's been, he comes out and the promos seem a lot longer than I'd like. Either way, very interesting turn of events in saying that if the winner of his match with Daniel Bryan will go on to be in the Triple Threat match at WrestleMania. So that means that if Triple H beats Daniel Bryan, please God don't let that happen, then Triple H will be the third man in that match. I think at that point, people in the arena are just going to fling everything they can into the ring. If it's Daniel Bra, I mean, if it's uh, Triple H, Batista, and Randy Orton in a triple threat match, it would be ridiculous, and I think the crowd would probably burn down the entire building, just because you have Randy Orton, who the crowd is pretty much uh, non-committal, uh, Batista, who everybody hates at least until Guardians comes out, and Triple H. Now, Jay says if Triple H was in that match, he would win. Now, here's the funny thing. Let's entertain that for a second. If Triple H beat Daniel Bryan, went into the triple threat, and won the belt, and then dropped it to Daniel Bryan, either the following night on Raw or at the next pay-per-view, how would you guys feel about that? I'm curious, if if Triple H won the belt and put over Daniel Bryan either the following night or at the next pay-per-view, how would you feel? I'm curious. I'm, I'm curious because there's, there's a couple of different things. First of all, we all want Daniel Bryan to get to WrestleMania, win the belt, and validate this entire turn of events that he's been involved in. We'd all love that, that turn of events from him getting screwed over, in the title match, to him getting beat up every week, et cetera, et cetera. We want that. We want that feel-good moment. We want that big moment at WrestleMania. We want it, but let's think about it. Let's think about it. Let's think of if Triple H went, got past Bryan, won the belt at Mania, then drops it to Bryan and puts him over. Now, a couple of things. Uh, Jay says Triple H wins by screwjob. Mortis, people will be pissed with WrestleMania if that happens and will be pissed all night. This is true. Um, Screwjob Jay says, Hogan restarts the match because he's the host. Ah, pulling a, a rock. Then he screws Daniel Bryan out of being established as a real main eventer, not a stand-in who can't win at the big one. See, there, there's a lot of different ways to go about it. But again, like I said, armchair booking. If Triple H went all the way, won the belt, and dropped it to Daniel Bryan, I think people would just people would really turn on the product because we wanted the Daniel Bryan victory like that's what you want you want Daniel Bryan in there crying holding the belt the big moment the confetti raining down all the fireworks and shit we all want that we all need that because that's that's the payoff that's what we want but you got to remember wrestling wrestling stopped being about what we want a long time ago you know what i'm saying it's about telling the story and the bigger picture. Now, Val says Daniel Bryan fought all year for that WrestleMania shot. Jay says if he drops the belt, Roy would suck China balls. <laughs> well played, gentlemen. Well played. But it's true. I think I think that, that what we all want is the Daniel Bryan feel good moment. We want it. We need it. We 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 are you know a hundred percent on board with it because it's the right thing to do. It is what's best for business. But from a realistic standpoint, Triple H could go all the way and then drop it to Brian to put him over. Very interesting times, ladies and gents. Very interesting times. The Usos took on the Real Americans in what I felt was a totally, totally well-executed match. Antonio Cesaro with a beautiful... European uppercuts I one of my favorites is the cycle crusher uh, M Bison style European uppercut where he jumps off the ropes and he does the spinning European uppercut one of my favorite spots usually sold by by very well uh, Sami Zayn made it look really good in their match on NXT and a lot of guys at ring of honor were 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 champions in selling that uh, the real Americans made a strong statement by getting the victory over the tag team champions which of course opens up a different Pandora's box, which is, you pin the champions, now what? Now, of course, the Real Americans are already, you know, kind of kind of splintered. So, this can go a couple of different ways. They can go on to Wrestlemania, challenge the Usos, lose at Wrestlemania, and then split them up at Mania because they couldn't win the big one. You know? Yeah, the Real Americans versus the Road Brothers, the Rhodes Brothers was fantastic, Jay. You're 100% right. That match that match was very good. I really liked the chemistry in that match. It, it was it was fantastic. But again, uh, the Real Americans breakup is inevitable. And if they did break them up at Mania, using the uh, losing the titles at losing a title match as the catalyst, it would be a great way to bring that story full circle as well. Again, we'll see what happens with that. But the Real Americans really looked they looked good in that match. Now, let's talk about this Kane and the shield segment. There were goosebumps when, when, when they were going to beat up Jerry Lawler. There were goosebumps first because I said to myself, holy shit, Jerry Lawler just came back from a stroke and he's going to eat a triple powerbomb from the shield? You're going to kill him. You might as well make this a casket match and roll out the fucking gurney because you're going to kill Jerry Lawler on television. But when the shield turned around and looked at Kane and whooped Kane's ass. The crowd was fucking electric. They were bananas. They were insane. And it's funny because you see, and, you know, me and my wife, we were watching it. And you see, you see crazy ass Dean Ambrose. Dean Ambrose gave it away. Because he's standing by Kane and he's looking at him like, you... and he's doing like those real crazy twitchy Joker, why so serious face? You know, he's doing that real psychotic looking face and all of a sudden they just, they just beat the shit out of Kane and, and the crowd went insane. Now, now the funny thing with that is everybody's like, yeah, the shield face turn. I don't think so. I think the shield are going to remain the shield because they have no allegiance to anyone. Now, the beauty of doing it that way is it keeps the shield effective and you know, it, by, by allowing them to be who they are, their breakup can still happen. Because a lot of people are like, oh, man, the Shield, their face is now, they're not going to break up, not going to go down. The Shield, it's inevitable that they're going to break up because they're, 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 on, they're on Roman Reigns' jock right now. Management wants Roman Reigns to be the man. They want that. And the only way you can do that is by sacrificing the Shield. You know, that, that, that's how it's going to go. Now, by doing it the way they did, you created something different because now it's a question of how is Kane going to retaliate? Which tag team is going to help him? Now, of course, if you read the if you read the spoilers for SmackDown, you know how this is going to go. Now, a lot of people are saying this would be a great opportunity. I believe Jay said it as well for the Ascension to come up. From NXT, and it'll be the the Ascension and Kane against the Shield. I think that would be a tremendous way to, to really take things to the next level, plus bring up a viable, viable tag team. Val says that the Ascension is trash. <laughs> Damn, dude. That's that's oh basura. He's even going bilingual. Trash and basura from Val with regards to the Ascension. I think the Ascension are serviceable big guys. They're, they're big dudes. They, they, they have a cool look. Uh, those are the kind of guys. They are, I, I like to call them a modern day APA. You know, they're, they're, just, they're just big dudes that, that work like a stiff style. It's, um, they're effective as heels. But, you know, everybody has a different opinion. Val feels that they suck. Mortis says they won't bring the Ascension in before WrestleMania. I believe they do it on Raw the next day. Uh, Jay says the Ascension is a very good heel squad. Here's the thing. I mean, and a lot of people are saying, oh, well, you know, you could put Kane with the new age outlaws. No, you can also put him with Harper and Rowan, but in terms of continuity, didn't the Wyatt family pretty much take Kane's lunch money and fling him in a ditch, you know, because remember, remember that the, 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 the Wyatt family kidnapped Kane They had the crazy inferno match, and they're gonna put no, it's not gonna happen. Obviously, in in continuity from a continuity standpoint, we would love to to see that, but you know, it's not gonna happen. And it's unfortunate because the Wyatt's, you know, the, the the Harper and Rowan should be involved in some capacity in a match at WrestleMania. You know? That's how it is. Let's talk about this Bad News Barrett segment. Let's talk about it. The only good thing out of a Bad News Barrett segment is, Well, I'm afraid I've got some bad news. That's about it. Of course, you knew that it was St. Patrick's Day and the inevitable, the inevitable leprechaun gags were coming. Um, of course, it was uh, Hornswoggle, Bad News Barrett, and of course, a St. Patrick's Day showdown with Sheamus and Titus O'Neil. There is no bigger shill for that than using poor Sheamus, poor Hornswoggle. I'm shocked they didn't dig out Fit Finlay and throw him in there. But um, yeah, it just it, it was it was weird. It was weird, and I'll tell you why. You take these holidays, Cinco de Mayo. You know Alberto Del Rio, Rey Mysterio, Sin Cara. They're all wrestling. St. Patrick's Day. You know it's gonna be Sheamus or, or wh- whatever Irish performer they got. Black History Month, everybody who's African American is getting jobbed out because that's what happens. You'd think for Black History Month, they'd let, they'd let a couple of guys get over it. No, 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 not for Black History Month. Everybody's going to get their ass whooped. Think about it. Think about every episode of Raw during Black History Month. Kofi Kingston, R-Truth, Mark Henry, um, the, the primetime players, everybody caught an ass whooping. Everybody, everybody caught a bla- ass whooping during Black History Month. Everybody caught an ass whooping that was African American on Martin Luther King Day. Just there was there was nothing. Biggie too. Biggie got fucking beat the fuck down. I think it was, if I remember correctly, it was either by the real Americans or the Wyatts. I think that's when Biggie did that six man tag match with Cena and who the hell did he do it with? Cena and somebody else. Cena and Daniel Bryan. It, 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 just, it, I always feel again. The racial overcoats, and I talk about this all the time, racial overcoats are, are living, breathing, and running wild in professional wrestling. They, they're there. Anybody that doesn't look at any minority in professional wrestling without some sort of a stereotypical gimmick, you're, you're wearing blinders. You have two Puerto Rican guys pretending to be matadors. Uh, you have a small midget who's Hispanic dressed as a bull. You have your, your, your short performer who is a leprechaun. And then you have your one Irish guy perpetuating every Irish stereotype, you know, drinking. Oh, we're going to go out and have a pint. You know, we got that. We got, you know, St. Patrick's Day showdown. We got all that shit. And, and, and it kills me because it's like, does management sit back there and they're like, yeah, we're just going to, you know, this is what you're going to do today. Seriously. Like, it's it's that type of a... The only guys who aren't saddled with those terrible shucking and jiving gimmicks are Big E, Mark Henry, and Kofi Kingston. At least in Kofi Kingston... Kofi Kingston, we got past the whole him being from the islands shit. And he's just, you know, the athletic black guy. Because that's what it is. Kofi Kingston, athletic black guy. Because that's how it works. You know? It says uh, Mortis, at least they don't have any Mexicans riding around on lawnmowers calling themselves the Mexicos, Dude, that was that right there was the pinnacle of, of just over the top racial stereotyping. Over the top. Ah, thank you, Jay. That's right. Big E ate the curb stomp on Martin Luther King Day. That is correct. Thank you, Jay. And that's what I'm saying. Like, Every minority in the business is exactly that—the racial overcoats. Look at look at Rosa, Rosa Mendez. Rosa Mendez has been a Fanta girl, um, uh, a dancing Fanta girl with 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 uh, Primo and Epico. Uh, Primo and Epico are Puerto Ricans. When they were just regular Primo and Epico, and they'd come out with fucking ponchos, then all of a sudden they became bullfighters. And and mind you, mind you, they're supposed to put their father. Uh, Car- you know Carlos Colon into the Hall of Fame and it's funny because kayfabe kayfabe was running wild they were like oh yeah the matadors are primo and epico it was I'm like alright uh, way to just fucking just kill that good work and that's what I'm saying like anybody that watches wrestling and, and I gotta remind you guys I say this uh, wrestling is entertainment it is mindless it takes aspects of our personalities whether they're good, bad, or otherwise, and amplifies them to astronomical levels. But it leads me to believe that Vince McMahon looks at his minority athletes and he visualizes the worst possible stereotypes. You know? The worst possible ones. Let's think about it. Uh, Crime time. Uh, Nation of domination. Uh, Coco Beware. Uh, Bad News Brown. Let's let's go down the list. Our uh, truth. Our R- truth is the biggest he is the epitome of shucking and jiving black stereotypes, all of them. And I'm talking about uh, Junkyard Dog. It was weird because Junkyard Dog, his, his gimmick, Junk- Junkyard Dog was such a lovable dude. Like that was the thing. You'd watch Junkyard Dog when you were a kid. You'd watch him at Hulk Hogan's cartoon and the wrestling shit. And you're like, "Yo, Junkyard Dog is a cool dude." You know, he, he it was weird. JYD was a was a was a unique character. Even Coco Beware, Coco Beware wasn't really. He wasn't like a black guy. Black guy. Coco Beware was, hey, I got this bird, you know, and that's it. Like that was it. Booker T. Booker T is a great example. Booker T went from Harlem Heat, we coming for you, to G.I. Bro. Let's not even forget that he was G.I. Bro. Then he went on to being Rock 2.0. Let's not fucking kid ourselves. When Booker T's final run of WCW, he'd come out with the fancy shirts, and he would deliver the bookend, and he was pretty much The Rock during that last run. So it's, it's, it's exactly that, you know, And, and it's funny because it's like, you look at the Samoans, a lot of the Samoans that come up, excluding Roman reigns, get the terrible Samoan gimmicks. Like, let me eat fish heads and come to the ring and hit people with coconuts. At least the Usos are being booked in a way that they're honoring their Samoan traditions But the Usos are ghetto as shit. The Usos are super hood. Like, you can tell that when they're backstage, they're like, yo, what up, God? What's good? Yo, I'm chilling, man. What's up with you? Like, that's, you know that that's the Usos as soon as they go back there. Like, the Siba Tau, it's it's really cool. I like that. Like, they're not perpetuating all the really, really bad Samoan stereotypes. They're not coming out there like Afa and Sika, you know, eating fish heads and and being barefoot and shit, you know the, the Usos are exactly what they are. they're hip, they're young, they're they're pretty much everything that you want them to be, but the Usos are hood as shit. Thank you, Jay. the hood. You know, Jay says the Usos are mad hood. follow them on Instagram and you'll see. It's true, you know like like when you look at that, the Usos are, are an exception, but I think that's, that that's only because they've run the gamut of Samoan stereotypes. Like Roman Reigns, you know, if Roman Reigns, they said, Roman, you know, we want you to go out there and you're going to wear a coconut around your neck and you're going to go out there shirtless and you're going to have war paint on. You know, he's going to be like, yo, you really want me to go out there with this coconut around my neck? Chill. Like that's Roman, Re- like Roman Reigns looks like he's just a suave dude. He's just like, yo, you're going to wear this coconut and you're going to go out there with face paint. This doesn't work. It does not work. So like certain things, I think the Samoans have pretty much exhausted their stereotypes. Now, you know, African-Americans and Hispanics, unfortunately, regardless of how we look at ourselves, we are, we're always going to have different stereotypes. We're either going to be low-riding Mexican criminals, uh, luchadors, Puerto Rican gangbangers, uh, aristocrats of some sort, unless you're Alberto Del Rio, uh, You know, all the usual Hispanic stereotypes are exactly that. They're exactly that. Now, it's funny because Jay says white people never have a typical racial gimmick. Here's the funny thing about that. Racial gimmicks for, for non-minority wrestlers are always a different experience to me. And I'll tell you, if you remember, think about the one-man gang before when he became Akeem the African Dream. Um, Slick, if you if you could do me a favor and pull up the debut of Akeem The African Dream. That was without a doubt the epitome of some hardcore racial shit. If you look at that at that particular at that particular segment, Mean Gene was in weird, like kind of closet racist mode. And I, I want to see if I could find it. The debut of the debut of Akeem, the African Dream, was probably the funniest thing ever because it had it had the man called Slick. Now the funny thing about that is that Slick, um, Slick was probably a bigger part of making the Akeem, the African Dream, um, just just one of the better. Uh, terrible, uh, you know, white guy, stereotypical gimmicks. Um, I'm trying to find uh, th- that particular. I want you guys to hear this because, like I said, it is it is terrible the way that they did it. It is so terrible. And the way that, like I said, the way that that um, Mean Gene Okerlund was reacting to it, I was just like, wow, that's that's super racist. And I'm trying to find it because it was they put it on WWE's website and I don't know why it's not here because it had Mean Gene. He was pretty much in the projects waiting for the one-man gang and all of a sudden Slick showed up and the next thing you know, it was Akeem the Dream. And I was just like, all right. But but again, you rewatch that now and you realize like, wow, uh, racial stereotypes are running rampant in this promo. And I'm try- I'm really trying to find it because I want to play it for you guys. I think, uh, I kind of think that our friends at Matt men had that promo. Actually, let me see. Uh, thank you. Slick. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, I want to play this because like I said, it was, it was, it was craziness. It was craziness. So check out, check out all the different racial undertones in this. First off, just listen to mean jeans commentary which was masterful. i demand some kind of an answer what is happening here tonight well Mean Gene is just as simple as brother i'm telling you that tonight there's gonna be a transformation that's gonna take place wait a minute you've been feeding around a force slick what kind of a transformation what are you talking about ma'am man i'm telling you home it is gonna shock the world of professional wrestling and it's gonna happen tonight well, let's not keep everybody in suspense. Make it happen, Slick. Behold, oh. and behold a king. Uh, uh, a king, a king. Wait a minute, Slick. Wait a minute. 430, 450 pounds. I recognize this man as the one-man gang. No, 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 no. This is a Don't you ever refer to him as the one-man gang again. Hey, wait a minute, one-man gang. You think hey, I just hey, got Pastor, off the... Didn't you hear me, you thick-headed fool? From now on, I will be known as Akeem, I'm reborn tonight. The greatest night in history. What? I didn't just get off the turnip truck. I know better. Listen, man, Chrome down. Didn't you hear what the big man just said? This is the greatest night in wrestling history. I told you it was going to shock the world of professional wrestling. And just look at him. What plans do you have for this man, Akeem? First of all, you got people wearing... Like African garb and craziness, craziness. You have this big, giant, three hundred pound white dude in a dashiki, and you got Slick with him. And the funny thing is that Slick made that. Slick made that segment. Like Akeem was good, but Slick made that segment. You know, they didn't they didn't go crazy with it, but it was just the right amount. And I liked mean jeans like oh my god i'm in i'm in the hood what the hell is going on here guys guys it's kind of dark and it's like they're doing a yes yes val doing a tribal dance around burning trash cans yes in the ghetto in what was the hood which pretty much looked like a scene out of um it looked like they pulled the set from the running man and threw it in there because that's exactly what you saw but again Like, the the racial stuff has always existed in wrestling, and it just amuses me when they blatantly do, you know, the St. Patrick's Day showdown or, you know, I want to, you know, Alberto Del Rio's Cinco de Mayo Festival, which hopefully they'll have a Cinco de Mayo Festival when Alberto Del Rio gets the fuck out of there because that guy sucks. Anyway, John Cena comes out. He cuts his usual promo, blah, blah, blah. You know, me and the Wyatt family. Solid Cena promo, it was good, but again, the Wyatts, the Wyatts are up there. The Wyatts are up there. In terms of promo work, uh, the way they present themselves, it's just on a whole other level. Whole other level. It's funny, Jay says, Mean Gene had more hood cred than Akeem. Yes. <laughs> the, yes. It, definitely a lot more hood cred. But you know what I like? I like that. When Akeem was walking out, he was like, yeah, brother, I am Akeem. And he's, and he's like shucking and jiving when he comes out. I'm just like, what the fuck just happened? Now, mind you, when you're a kid and you see this, you're like, well, damn. Okay, I, I could rock with that. When you're older, and this is where the WWE Network comes into play, and you see this stuff, you go, holy shit, was that bad? Oh, was that the, it's like, it's like when you watch like uh, the Shockmaster, you know, that when you watch like the Shockmaster in WCW or Vinnie Vegas with, that was Kevin Nash or Oz when he was that or Razor Ramon when he was the diamond stud with Diamond Dallas Page. There are so many, you watch some of these things and you're just like, really that happened? Like, especially if you watch a lot of old ECW shit, like ECW was just like it was just out of control at one point. I watched um the there was one where the Dudley boys that where Bubba Ray Dudley got spit on by a fan, spit on. Cuz the he was just like you're a fat piece of shit. I was like, "Oh. Okay." And the lady legit spit on Bubba Ray Dudley and then he in turn spit on her. It, it was it was beautiful heel work. And it was funny cuz I was watching Impact before I started doing the show. And, you know, Jay, of course, was doing the Impact Live blog and nothing beats James Storm looking like a magician or an extra from from that tattoo show on Spike TV, cracking a bottle over Gunner's father's head. It was it was it was beautiful. It was beautiful because his father, his father, like he hit him and his father's just like. Like he legit fell over. It was it was. Fantastic. Yo, Gunner's dad getting hit over the head was masterful because he legit like fell like when you beat up a guy in Streets of Rage on Genesis. And he's like, he's like with his arm bent like this, not moving. Oh, fantastic. It was, it was, a, it, we need more of that. Now it's funny because Val says, remember when Sandman stabbed someone in the crowd with a screwdriver? Yes, I remember that. But here's one Do you guys remember from ECW the mass transit incident? The mass transit incident, um, there was a shortage of performers. And this guy was like, oh, you know, my son, my son is a wrestler. So the guys, the kid's father, he was a young kid, but he was just really big and fat. So this kid, they said he was a wrestler. They put him in a match with New Jack. And, you know, the guys, I think the kid's father was a bus driver. So they called him mass transit. And he went in there with New Jack and New Jack nearly killed this dude. Um... You know, when, when, when he, yo, this guy was leaking everywhere. Jay says that kid deserved it. The mass transit incident is without a doubt one of the craziest moments for ECW. And uh, Jay Mercer, I agree. When Taz was wiling out, just cursing in the ring, the best one was when he came out there uh, to fight Sabu. This was when Jerry Lawler uh, was with Rob Van Dam and Sabu, and Jerry Lawler walked in, and this was the best Jerry Lawler promo he was um. He was like, "This building should be. Th- this building should be made out of toilet paper because it's full of shit." Hearing Jerry Lawler say that, it was just, it was just, uh, it was, it was mind changing. It was mind changing. In the words of uh Russell Peters, it was, you know, mind blasting. It was mind blasting the way it went down. It was. I was like, "Oh, Jerry Lawler's a badass." It was great, and he's laughing like a complete fucking psycho. And Taz comes out there, and he's ready to put a beat, and he's like, "Lawler." Lawler, I'm begging you, Lawler, you motherfucker, you're going to come out here and fight me. And then um, the setup for that was Shane Douglas uh, telling Taz like, hey, man, you ran everybody out. Get out of the ring. And it was pretty much Shane Douglas. It led to Shane Douglas and Taz having a match with the belt on the line and Taz becoming champion. So definitely an awesome setup, an awesome setup for that. But Jerry Lawler in ECW was amazing amazing like yeah i can we make fun of the king here all the time especially uh uh, the guys with the buried column but again jerry lawler and ecw gold ladies and gentlemen gold anyway let's wrap up what we got to talk about uh with monday night raw of course arnold schwarzenegger is going to be at raw he's going to be promoting sabotage with joe manganello i'm sure there's going to be some sort of an exchange maybe arnold's going to crack somebody with a chair and Scooby-Doo and the Mystery Machine are going to be there, and I'm sure they will be more over and get more screen time than Zack Ryder, Dolph Ziggler, and The Miz combined. So there you have it. That's what you got to look forward to for next week. Uh, Randy Orton and Daniel Bryan had a very, very good match. Again, Daniel Bryan uh, putting over Randy Orton, but then again, Daniel Bryan could have a match with an armless woman and make the match look good. So it, what else can you expect? Uh, Paul Heyman did typical Paul Heyman stuff. As usual, and um, Triple H and Stephanie their their little backstage segment was kind of cool, just because it, it was it was a good exchange between them. The only problem was that you're like you're you're Triple H, you're this big ass dude, and Stephanie McMahon pretty much carries your balls in her purse. That's kind of like the way it looked in that in that promo. I'm like, wow, you know, I you know, I'm like, wow, you just made Triple H look like a hardcore bitch in that promo. But again, it was, it w- it was effective to where it was leading, but it just wasn't effective at first glance. Like obviously when you watch raw at the end of the night and you see the payoff, you're like, Oh, okay. But when I first saw that segment, I'm like, well, damn, he looks like a complete bitch. But again, we'll, we'll discuss the end of the segment in a few minutes. Uh, Fandango and summer Ray took on gold dust with Cody Rhodes. It was funny because gold dust came out and he tried to dance with Cody And um, a lot of people were like, wow, you know, that was that was a little weird. But it it amused me because it's like, especially if you're a brother, you know, if you have a younger brother or an older brother, um, you have to look at it. um, You know, you have to look at it from the standpoint, like if you have a sibling and I know a lot of you guys can relate, especially if you're an older sibling, you want to go out there and break your brother's balls a bit. And I kind of like that. I liked I like the way Goldust did that just because Cody Rhodes was legit like, yo, what are you doing? And it was funny because it, it added a little bit of a dynamic of realism to their relationship. Obviously, you know, they're brothers and, and, you know, it's great. But that I like the way that that was done because it was subtle. Like I always talk about, you know, those little subtle touches, those little things. I like the way that went, because, again, we, we all especially if you're like I said, if you're a sibling, we've all had those moments where we got to embarrass our younger or older siblings doing something foolish and that, in particular, was, was very, very well done. Um, you know, I really like uh, Goldust, as usual, continues to improve and, and do great things in the ring. There was one blown spot there, the suplex spot. Uh, it, was, it was amusing that, you know, they went from that and the match went, the match went sideways. And Goldust really looked genuinely upset after that match, maybe because of the botch, maybe because he got cut but he was he was legit pissed off and it was funny because I'm like I'm like but but he won why is he mad but then when I rewatched the match you know before I got ready for the show he um you could see that 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 maybe the botch messed it up or maybe he caught a stinger or maybe the match just wasn't what he wanted but he was like super angry i was like well oh shit i thought maybe it was just uh his frustration that he couldn't dispatch fandango quick enough but then like i said i rewatched it and i was just like you know, I was like, wow, that was, you know, it was, it was, it was, it was a weird, it was a weird moment at the end of the match, but the match itself was pretty solid. Uh, Fandango continues to improve in the ring. I definitely feel that he doesn't, he doesn't, um, he doesn't really make an effort to to dance anymore when he comes out. You guys remember when Fandango first debuted, he'd come out, he'd do the whole shtick. Now he just comes out. He's just like, he just goes like this. Like it was, it was, it was terrible. It was it was super terrible that, that his gimmick has just taken a turn into Dollsville. He, wasn't, he, wasn't, he doesn't even try to do any sort of dancing anymore. But I do feel that the, that the, the botch in that match was definitely on him. You got to be careful with that shit. But overall, I do feel the match was, was pretty solid, Matt, minus, minus that botch towards the end of that match gfq sting he's just another guy now it's true it's he's pretty like fandango he had they he had this whole big wave of momentum and everybody was fandangoing and you would have thought that the wwe would have ran with that ball to try and increase that mainstream appeal and then all of a sudden it was just like meh go out there with your stork looking chick and um you know <laughs> that's pretty much it because because i'm sorry and we we talked about it you know he comes out there with the stork and it's like, all right, we're gonna dance now. Yes. And they're and they're gonna dance, him and him and Prissy the Stork. And then all of a sudden it's like Um You see him wrestle and you're like, all right, the guy's a pretty good wrestler. Then the match ends, and you just look at him and you're just like, Really? That was it? Like, that's the problem. Like, and I've talked about this before. When you pigeonhole these guys in this gimmick, he they're stuck. Like he is stuck being this dancing. It's pretty much Disco Inferno with a bird. That's what it is. It's Disco Inferno with a bird. He comes out. He pretends to dance. He shucks and jives a bit. And then, you know, him and the stork, they dance. And the stork does the split. Then, you know, she goes and she puts a watermelon on a dog's head and has the dog chase, foghorn, leghorn. All right. Anyway. (laughs) Anyway. But as I said, it was minus that botch at the end. The The match was pretty decent. It was definitely... Very, very decent. On the Diva side of things, uh, Cameron, Naomi rocking her eye patch, took on AJ and Tamina for the 85th time that we've seen this match. Of course, Naomi with her swank eye patch coming in. Um, definitely, here's the good thing about this match, and I say it all the time, Naomi is the better wrestler. When you uh, between, between the Funkadactyls, Cameron Cameron should pretty much carry Naomi's bags and Naomi should go out there and and, and, and do what she's got to do. She was very, very good in that match. A lot of awesome spots. Got to be careful, though, because Tamina, Tamina, her physicality is good, but the, 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 the chances of her legitimately botching and fucking somebody up are very, very small. Like, that's what happens. Like, Tamina comes out there, And it's like, yo, she's hard hitting and it's like, okay, but it's like, yo, you can't work strong style with women that, that have no concept of strong style. Cause that's what it is. It looks like Tamina goes out there and really wants to do some, some, some strong style shit and it doesn't always work. Like she busted open one of the Bellas not too long ago. And, and that's what I'm saying. Like if, if she just paced herself a little bit and, and, and took her time, you know, she she, she could be very, very effective. When you look at this match, this is pretty much Naomi carrying Cameron and AJ carrying Tamina, but for different reasons. Now, AJ's wrestling is, 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 is complete. As Whether you love AJ or hate AJ, AJ's wrestling is complete. In Tamina's case, she's, she's there. She's almost there. She just needs to tighten it up. In Naomi and Cameron's case, you could fire Cameron tomorrow and I wouldn't shed a tear. As for Naomi, Naomi is definitely her, you know, she's definitely the star of the group. And there's tremendous potential for her to become one of the divas who is mainstreaming. And I do feel Naomi has the tools for that. She has the look. um, You know, they haven't really done anything with an African-American diva in quite some time. And uh, Val says that Naomi has the better twerk. (laughs) Well said, good sir. Well said. All right. Uh, Big Show, Big E, Dolph Ziggler, and Mark Henry took on Damian Sandow, Rye Baxel, and Alberto Del Rio. This is pretty much let's cram everybody we can on TV that people may or may not give a shit about. The match itself was pretty good. It did break down into a bit of a spot fest at the end. Um you know, everybody hitting each other with the finishers, and pretty m- Sandow ate the pin, and that was it. It really was like, hey, let's cram every mid carder there, and 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 hype up the over the top rope battle royal. That's it. It was it was full hardcore. You just needed Zach Ryder as the special guest referee to bring it full circle. Uh, Renee Young had a little exchange with Batista. You know, Batista, Batista with his alien wear looking face. Uh, talking about how he's going to be champion. It's not going to fucking happen, Big Dave. I'm sorry, but it's not. Uh, Bray Wyatt took on Kofi Kingston because when you're an athletic black guy and you have no mic skills, you end up just being fodder for everybody else. I'm sorry, Kofi, but that's what's happening. You, sir, are Shelton Benjamin 2.0. Kofi Kingston, I've said it before, needs a manager. You need to bring Prince Nana over from Ring of Honor and put him with Kofi Kingston. We need that shit to happen. You could say that Prince Nana's his father, his brother, whatever, whatever. Bring him in because Kofi Kingston needs all the help he can get. He is incredibly athletic, has tremendous spots, but he's lacking in the promo department. Lacking. It's like, what's your gimmick? Athletic black guy with pop culture shorts. Because this past Monday, he had Bane on his shorts. That's one thing. When you always look at Kofi Kingston's ring gear, you always see something cool. Because, you know, he's, he's a young guy and he's a comic fan. He loves pop culture. Uh, you've see, I've seen, you know, he's got the Skeletor ones, uh, Power Rangers, uh, Bane. Bane was this past Monday. Very, very cool little subtle things that if you're a comic fan or you're into pop culture or you're an 80s baby, you're going to catch very quickly. But Kofi Kingston, I feel bad because he's just, he's just stuck. He's just stuck putting everybody else over. That's all it is. He's got nothing else going for him. Val says that Shelton Benjamin was better than Kofi Kingston. That depends on how you look at it. All right, let's put it to you guys. Val says Shelton Benjamin was better than Kofi Kingston. Do you agree? I I definitely want to (laughs) see. Technically. Are Are you finishing that thought? Oh, from a technical aspect. You see, it's weird because they, they do have two different wrestling styles. You know, it's, um, you know, when you, look at, when you look at their wrestling, you have, you know, amateur wrestling background, WWE factory. So I can understand where that comes in. But in terms of just, just connecting better, I think Kofi Kingston, his, his spots have made him um, more of an asset. Make of that what you will. Jay says, Prince Nana cursed out my regulars crew one event. Even shook his hips at one of our ladies. Then shook hands with us and cracked joke with us. That guy is awesome. And then uh, Mortis says, they keep Kofi Kingston around just for the Royal Rumble spots. Uh, he sees Mortis went on to say that Shelton Benjamin seemed a bit more smooth or polished. Uh, Jay Mercer says, Kofi has better charisma. See, it's, it's, it's very interesting. The schools of thought are different. And all of you guys are right. In terms of some of the things you're citing. But I will say this from a mat from a technician standpoint, I understand what I was saying. Shelton Benjamin, a better technician. But in terms of better mainstream appeal from a from a connecting with the kids standpoint, Kofi Kingston definitely has it on lock. The only thing that Kofi lacks, like I said, is either better mic work or a manager. That's it. I think if he had that he would be a force to be reckoned with. So let's talk about this end of the night segment. First of all, Triple H comes down. He cuts a really nice promo, putting Daniel Bryan over. Yeah, 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 this is great. Daniel Bryan, come on down. I want to talk to you. Uh, Daniel Bryan comes down, and all of a sudden, it's uh, Stephanie McMahon, oh, I'm going to have you arrested. So the cops come in. They slap the cuffs on Daniel Bryan. And Triple H says, hey, 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 what are you guys doing? What are you doing? Get out of here. Then all of a sudden he said he just he flips and he's like, yeah, you know, I'm not going to let them whoop your ass. I'm going to whoop your ass. And Triple A's just proceeded to beat the holy shit out of Daniel Bryan from I want to say from 1050 till about 1105 till about 1105, 1110. He whooped Daniel Bryan's ass. Now, here's the thing. Some people are saying. And like I said, I got a call from, from Josh, one of our guys, one of our writers, the next day. He was like, yo, what the fuck was that, man? Daniel Bryan just getting a legit hardcore ass whooping. Like he's handcuffed and he's beaten to death. Now, it's very interesting that, that he felt that way. And this is where I want to kind of get into it. First, you have got to look at, you gotta look at it like this. Triple H has been the corporate bad guy, Vince McMahon 2.0, for the majority of this feud. All of a sudden, you know, all of a sudden he just turned like that. And he just became psychopathic bad guy, cerebral assassin, you know, what he's known for. Vicious, vicious ass whooping. And Stephanie McMahon yelling like a banshee, beat him, kick his ass. I just thought of that one big-ass tough guy that you get into a fight with, and then all of a sudden his girl is screaming for him to whoop your ass, and then you proceed to throw him through a plate glass window and she runs away. That, forget it. I digress. But, but seriously, it's like all of a sudden Triple H, he turned the corner, and I just said to myself, wow, that, that, was, that, was, that was good. I did feel it ran a lot longer. It did re- run a lot longer than it, uh, it could have been expected. I felt that Daniel Bryan has been on the receiving end of a lot of beatings, a lot of beatings, and that, that's what bothered me. It was the fact that not only did you beat Daniel Bryan up, but you beat him up while he was handcuffed. Now, now a lot of people are saying, yeah, but that put, the, the, that put it over the top. Here's the thing. Triple H is supposed to be this bigger guy. You know, Daniel Bryan, Mr. B+, smaller wrestler. Why do you need to handcuff a guy who's smaller than you if you feel that you can physically dominate him? You see what I'm saying? When you look at it from a real, not, not even realism, when you look at it from a, a standpoint that it's supposed to make sense, you know, when you, look, when you look at that, you say to yourself, well, if you're a bigger guy and you're the king of kings and you're, you know, you're all this and you're all that, then why do you need to handcuff the little guy in order to whoop his ass? Now, obviously, from a storyline perspective, it shows that Triple H genuinely is afraid of Daniel Bryan. You know, thank you, Jay. I'm glad we are in unison. It, you know, it, it established that. And for those of us that are seasoned wrestling fans that, are, that we, we understand the psychology of wrestling, we see that. But I do feel that if you're, that if you're a casual fan or a fan that, that really is not used to that, you're going to... That beatdown... Was, was shades of the old Attitude Era. That was an Attitude Era ass-whooping. That's Stone Cold Steve Austin getting handcuffed and dragged out and getting beat up by the cops. That's that kind of a, you know, it's that kind of a moment. But the only thing is that there have been way too many of those for Daniel Bryan. And it makes you think, you know, you guys really are whooping his ass a lot. And, and it's true. It's like, it's like there's, 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 there's deeper meaning In the story and Jay says that that's what WWE wants and and I understand that but you also got to take it to consideration and this is what I said if you do all this and and you don't put him over at the show of shows then then it's wasted effort that's what I was saying like if Triple H wins and then he drops the belt to Brian Monday night or he drops the belt to Brian at another pay-per-view it's it's a waste you're gonna end up turning the fans. You know? And that's the that's the kind of thing. Jay says they want the casual fantasy, the big guy whipping on the little guy and the little guy winning. Yeah, we all want that. We all want the feel good ending, but the real question is, are we gonna get it? That's the real big question. The question isn't, oh, you know, good triumphs over evil and the grandest stage of them all. The story is will it happen? Will will they pull the trigger? Will Daniel Bryan be made, and I say that, you know, will he be made at WrestleMania? That's the kicker. Will he be made? If he is, then everything that we've talked about will be validated. But again, if he's not made, you're going to be like, fuck, Rich was right. See what I'm saying? Like, like you know, it's weird. You know, it, it, it's really, really crazy. Um, Val says as long as Batista doesn't botch it, And Jay said, "Jay, it's true. I remember Hulk and Andre, and I remember that that Andre was just the more dominant, and and Hogan, you know, Hogan came out on top in in that respect. But again, I'm talking about we're looking at a creative team that doesn't understand the history and the storytelling of wrestling. These are soap opera guys. These are guys that they're trying to grasp the concept of wrestling by the seat of their pants. These are guys that are learning as they go along. What they're doing is they're just framing stories." Around, around these characters instead of understanding the history that goes into it. Because it's true, we can talk about Hogan and Andre. We can talk about Lex Luger and Yokozuna. We can talk about every, every smaller guy that, that, that overcame the odds. What I would like, and this is crazy, I'd love for Daniel Bryan to win the belt, the big celebration, all the confetti, Cult of personality drops, punk comes in, shakes Brian's hand, gives him the GTS, and then we get that big, that big promo, you know, that big program with Brian and CM Punk, and the crowd would go crazy. We need a heel CM Punk for that. We need that. And you know what? His absence from the company, his silence on the web, his his dismissal of of wrestling fans. Uh, you know, overzealous wrestling fans, you can do that. You can have Punk drop the pipe bomb Monday night. Like, you know where I was? I was letting you get the opportunity, Daniel Bryan. I was letting you become the best in the world. But always remember, there can't be two best in the world. And you can actually, you can go and take that and you can take Daniel Bryan and be like, yeah, well, you can be the best in the world and I'll keep being the GOAT. And when he goes, the GOAT, yeah, that's what you are with your ridiculous beard. He can go, no, the greatest of all time. And that's what happens. What do you get when the best in the world collides with the greatest of all time? Again, self-professed. You can say that. It's, you know, everybody's like, oh, Daniel Bryan's not the greatest of all time. It's not, but it's, it's a gimmick. You can go from the yes movement to the GOAT to being the greatest of all time, you know? And that, and that right there, that right there would take the CM Punk situation and bring it full circle. And you can drag this program out. You can make this a SummerSlam program. Hell, you can build this all the way out to a collision course at the next WrestleMania. You know? Like, that's, that's the kind of thing that you could do. You can do that. Or you can create. You can do the, um, the Booker T, Chris Benoit, Best of Seven. Because, you know, it's funny that Jay mentions that. You can do that. And I like how they bring up, uh, you know, you're bringing up uh, Chris Jericho. But Jericho, if Jericho comes back, Jericho's coming back to put somebody over. That's about it. I personally feel that, you know, you have a situation where CM Punk is is an X-Man. He is a catalyst. You know, he's a catalyst in this entire state of affairs. Then you have. Hold on a second. Sorry about that. I thought my car alarm went off anyway. As I was saying, you know, you have you have a guy who pretty much has all the potential to carry this company. And Daniel Bryan. You have all this potential. But again, it's the payoff that we want. We want that payoff. And that's all we can hope for. We'll see what happens. We got, I believe, what? Two episodes of Raw before WrestleMania? It's, um, you know, it, it's, it's very, very weird. Jay Mercer mentioned um, Tenzai changing his name to Jason Albert. Which is funny because I did see that. And pretty much it's just Tenzai transitioning from active in-ring, in-ring competitor to color commentator. Um, the funny thing about that is that, you know, Tenzai, he was, he was very misused when they brought him in. And what's, what's happened with that is that now that he's transitioning to a color commentator, everybody's like, oh, well, you know, Tenzai was really good when he wrestled. And I'm like, uh, yeah, not so much. I wish him the best of luck. I think he does a a pretty serviceable job. And, um... You know it is what it is. Maybe he will transition to that and become a better a better asset to the company behind the mic. But it's it's good you brought that up. I actually didn't touch upon that. So uh, definitely nice bit of info to contribute to the show, Jay Mercer. Props for that. Anyway, like I said, Stephanie McMahon welling like a banshee. Triple H posing. Uh, pretty much they. Pretty much Triple H went backstage and pounded out Stephanie McMahon because that was that was um. That was one of those moments where where Stephanie McMahon was looking at him like, yo, we're going to go to the back and we're going to get naked like that. Like the way that it closed out, I was like, well, all right. Danny Bryan's all handcuffed and shit, all, all sprawled out, you know, doing the um, doing the River Phoenix outside the Viper room and um, Triple H is standing triumphant. Uh, you know, it, it was it was what it was. It was it was OK. Everybody's going to have a different opinion on how Raw ended. I feel that angle advancement wise, it was okay. But it's the payoff that matters. That's all I'm saying, just the payoff. Anyway, let's talk about the uh, rest of the wrestling news for this week. Um, As of right now, WrestleMania stands with uh, Randy Orton and Batista versus either Daniel Bryan or Triple H. Um, Of course, Triple H and Daniel Bryan for the spot. In the Mania card, Undertaker and Brock Lesnar, Cena and Bray Wyatt, the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal, uh, the rumors of a tag team title match between the Usos, the Real Americans, and Rye Baxel are also uh, very, very strong. There's also the possibility of the Divas title being defended, finally. And who knows, we might even get an IC title or US title match at Mania. We'll see how that pans out. It's, it's, it's two weeks. We got, what, two weeks to go. And nothing, nothing has moved on. Nothing, you know. It's 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 crazy. It is definitely crazy. But you know, we'll see what happens. I mean, WWE's pulled out a lot of great cards out of their ass like this. So two weeks until Mania, and there's a couple of things, uh, you know, that still haven't been resolved. We'll see what happens. Mortis says it would make sense if the Big Show wins the Andre the Giant Battle Royal. Um, it it would. But I do think that they're going to use the Andre the Giant Battle Royal to uh, promote Cesaro. I think Cesaro is going to come out being the star in the Andre the Giant Battle Royal. Obviously, a big show of strength and you can have you can have a good time with it. I think Cesaro will be the guy to benefit from that match. We'll see what happens. So Sting, of course, the man called Sting. Very, very interesting. Everybody's talking about, oh, is Sting signed, is Sting not signed. A couple of things. First off. He is doing a signing at WrestleCon in New Orleans during the day of WrestleMania. Just saying. The other thing is that the rumor pretty much says that Sting will debut at WrestleMania. I guarantee you, Undertaker beats Brock Lesnar, the lights go out, Sting comes out, points the bat at the Undertaker, and the crowd goes fucking insane. I'm telling you, if they do that, That'll probably get everybody super hype because they're going to be like, oh, you know, like like from a, from a fanboy perspective, you know, the matches that we talked about as as kids growing up. That's that would be the uh, the right way to do it. And, and it's true, Val. We, we are going to wait a year now. It's funny because Sting did a, a, a Q&A at a, in at a comedy club in England. And when they asked him about The Undertaker at WrestleMania, He said, um, I can say that I would love for that to happen. I can tell you that I really have only one more match in me, and I would like to have it against The Undertaker. You know, I think think that that would be probably the best way to do it. Sting goes into the Hall of Fame, The Undertaker goes into the Hall of Fame, and you get your one-year build-up. I think The Undertaker should actually make that his last match because I do feel that his match with Brock Lesnar is going to be so physical that he's going to need a year to recover. I kid you not one thing about the Undertaker, whether you love him or hate him, he's good. He goes out there and he's very, very physical in these matches to to a It's to a detriment because, you know, it it takes him longer to recover because he is older. Speaking of Sting, it was it is his birthday today. So uh, happy birthday to uh, the man called Sting. I believe he turns 50, 50 years old. So there you have it. Now, here's a crazy thing. Sting is 50. I believe The Undertaker is going to be 50. Kane is 46. Kane. Kane is 46 years old. How is that possible? Like, Kane doesn't even look like he ages, but he's 46. And this is what I'm saying. You know, when you look at, that, when you look at these guys, this is a changing of the guard situation. And, you yeah, know, yeah, Batista's 46 too, but Batista also has HGH, uh, Botox, and he probably bathes in the blood of virgins before he comes out. So, you know, that there's always that. Batista definitely Botoxing it up. But that's, that's separate. It's 55? I thought they said he turned 50. Hold on a minute. Let me see, because I took some notes here, and they said that he turned 50. Obviously, these guys are going to lie. Oh, it was 55. Thank you for that. Thank you for that, Jay Mercer. It's true. Jay Mercer... Uh, uh, Getting lots of gold stars tonight. Yes. Sting is fifty-five. What is happening? <laughs> fifty-five years old. Oh God. Can can we just get this match? Can we just get this match at WrestleMania? Seriously. He beats Brock Lesnar. The lights go out. Undertaker's staring. You hear whatever music they give Sting. He comes out. He has the trench coat and the makeup and he just points the bat at the Undertaker. And everybody just goes insane. And that's it, please. The guys, the guy's four years away from being able to get on the bus for 60 cents. Seriously. He's on the verge of getting onto the bus with a senior citizen discount. <laughs> Come on. Give the guy the fucking match already. Please, please, dear God, give him the match. I'm begging you. Anyway, for those of us that live in New York City and actually care about the TNA product, which is pretty much me and Jay Santee. Um, TNA is going to be running three shows at the Hammerstein Ballroom in New York City this summer. Um, from what they're saying, it looks like during the summer, they don't have any dates at Universal Studios. Very, very interesting. A couple of things. Uh, one of the things that they've been speculating is that they turned Bully Ray face because they're going to need a, a New York wrestler to, to put over the crowd at the Hammerstein Ballroom. I don't know how, how legit that is, but I'm, I'm curious to see if TNA is going to make this permanent. If they were smart, they would try and do their shows in New York City because not for nothing, and I'm not taking anything away from any other state, but New York City is a wrestling town. It's what we're built on. You know, uh, uh, Madison Square Garden, the mecca of, of professional wrestling. We know this. This is fact. This is a wrestling city. There's wrestling shows every weekend, whether they're independent. As a matter of fact, there's a WWE house show Saturday at Nassau Coliseum, and Raw will be at the Barkley on Monday. So I think if TNA were smart, they'd take advantage of the Hammerstein Ballroom. It's a very intimate venue. It's not super big. Every seat is good, and I guarantee you that if they put on some good matches, they would definitely fill out that arena. And it's funny because... Jay says, you know, I'm curious to see who's going to be there. So does Val. And it's true. I may actually go and see that because according to what they're saying, they're going to run three shows. They're going to run three shows. And um, they're saying that it's going to take place June, July, and August. You know, Jay says, uh, I'm in Orlando. I'm like 25 minutes away from the Performance Center, and I've been at NXT. Oh, you have? I, as, as somebody who's been there live, can, can you um, share with the chat room what a live experience at NXT was like. I'm, I'm curious. I, you know, knowing that you're from Orlando, thank you for sharing. Uh, you know, I want to know what it was like. How, how is it going to an NXT live event? Is it better than watching TNA Impact? Because here's the funny thing. TNA Impact, when they were in the UK, it felt like they were in the UK the entire year. They, they filled out arenas. <clears throat> Everybody went crazy. And then they come back here and it's like, damn, isn't that shitty? Like their lockdown attendance, people were saying, was very, very, it was very sketchy at best. And I think that, you know, it's funny because in TNA's case, they're trying to, I think they're also trying to impress Spike TV. Spike TV's offices are here in New York and, you know, they're up for renegotiating their contract and Spike TV's been rumored to be a suitor for WWE's product. So again, very, very interesting times with regards to that. You know, it's, it's funny that, that they're doing these shows at the Hammerstein, Spike TV is here, all of a sudden you turn Bully Ray, a lot of crazy stuff happening. Um, you know, Mortis says TNA should stay in the UK, Val says TNA sucks with promotion, really. It's true, they really don't go out of the way to promote their product. They really don't. It's not like it used to be. They used to go out and be really aggressive, you'd see more commercials and shit. Not happening. They're just not faring the way they should. Uh, speaking of TV negotiations, WWE, of course, is, being, is right now scouting for potential homes, especially if they can't re-up with NBC and Universal. Obviously, Spike TV would be the easiest suitor, but also Fox Sports 1. But I don't know if Vince McMahon will feel comfortable sharing his audience with the UFC. Another, another entry into the uh, TV arena is WGN. Now, WGN is available on a couple of different cable providers. I think they are in 73 million out of 99 million homes, according to what I've read, uh, according to what was on the Wrestling Observer. And, um, you know, WGN, an interesting network just because I I don't even think I have that network. I'm on Fios. I have to check. But I really think that if WWE does make the jump to another channel, it's got to be a channel with mainstream. Like people were saying TNT or TBS – um, you know, like I said, Fox Sports 1 has been rumored, uh, the, the AMC thing. I honestly feel that, if anything, TNA's relationship with USA has been the most beneficial. I think that SmackDown on Sci Fi has been, eh, you know, but there, there's definitely, thank you, Jay, for letting me know that Fios has it. I do feel TNA, uh, WWE is better suited for either Spike TV or TBS slash TNT. I don't think, you know, putting him on WGN or some offshoot network, unless maybe you do FX. FX might be good too. But, you know, USA USA has been the staple for WWE programming for so long that it would be an it would be very stupid for USA to give it up. Mortis says to put him on PBS. <laughs> there you go. You have uh, you give element you give Sherlock at, at eight o'clock, and then at nine thirty you give Raw. How weird would that be? Benedict Cumberbatch and Martin Freeman solving murders and then Stone Cold Steve Austin in a promo, you know, or John Cena in a pro. Oh, my God. WWE Raw is provided by viewers like you. Because, you know, those PBS commercials are the best. They're so sad. You watch them. You're like, this show is brought to you by blah, 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 and blah, 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 and by viewers like you. I guarantee you, if it was on PBS, it would be awful. It would be fucking awful. It would be a guilt trip. Like, I would be donating to PBS every week just because it's like PBS has no kind of a presence. They're just like, yeah, we got all the awesome BBC stuff, and that's it. Oh, and Big Bird, which, you know, whatever. That, that's what you watch on PBS. That, hell, that's all I watched. PBS was Big Bird. Uh, When my mother was raising my sisters, it was Barney the Dinosaur. So, yeah. (laughs) PBS raised us. Thank you, Val. I agree. PBS and Nickelodeon. I remember Maya the Bee, Eureka's Castle, uh, Fraggle Rock repeats uh, was all on Nickelodeon. The Rugrats. uh, What else did I watch? The Rugrats were my shit. Uh, Oh, Rocco's Modern Life. Rocco's Modern Life was a, was a staple. Ren and Stimpy, come on, who doesn't love Ren and Stimpy? Powdered Toast Man, where he saves the Pope and he tells the Pope to hold on to his ass while he flies backwards. Come on, that's great shit, man. Come on, Doug, definitely, Doug was the shit. Anyway, let me let me not. <laughs> we're gonna get it super nostalgic. Um, it's not every day we talk about what the fuck wrestling news, but this next bit of wrestling news is even is even crazy. For me, check this out. Dave Meltzer put out a uh, brand new Wrestling Observer newsletter. And get this WWE is going to be getting into a new line of business. No, it's not softcore pornography with the divas, before any of you ask. It is actually going to be get this workout videos. According to what Dave Meltzer put out in the Wrestling Observer newsletter, after the phenomenal success of DDP yoga, it ain't your mama's yoga. Uh, it has led for the, to the company branching out and creating workout DVDs. WWE is putting together at least one, if not two, workout DVDs. Um, first one is obviously a men's workout DVD with Triple H. And then they're doing a female workout DVD with Stephanie McMahon, which they actually were filming, I believe, at the WWE Performance Center. Obviously, on paper, you look at it, you're like, really? WWE workout DVDs? recipe for a disaster. But think about it, it doesn't really cost them anything. They can do the filming themselves. They can do it at the performance center and then just distribute it. Yes, yeah, Stephanie McMahon is going to be doing the workout DVD. Yeah. <laughs> I see that Jay hates Dave Meltzer. <laughs> Dave Meltzer, I have a love-hate relationship with him. Sometimes he puts out decent stuff, but um you know, th- this particular bit of information I wanted to talk about because it is so crazy. It is it, you know, you look at WWE, everybody's in great shape, everybody's athletic, and you don't think, "Oh, you know, maybe if they put out workout DVDs, it would be pretty cool." Like it was just it's so weird because it jumps out. Like when TNA put out a Jeff Hardy workout DVD, I was like, "Really? A Jeff Hardy workout DVD? Pretty much it's going to be first you pour the coke on the, da- on, the on the on the table." Then, then you roll up the paper like this. And then when the paper's rolled up, you put it like this and you go, that's the Jeff Hardy workout DVD. The Jeff Hardy workout DVD is rolling up paper and sticking it into Coke <laughs> or whatever drug of choice he was on. But seriously, it's, it's, it's weird that, that, you know, you would look at that and you'd go, <laughs> Exactly. The Jeff Hardy cocaine workout plan burned three lines in 30 seconds. But no, seriously, like you look at it, you know, UFC has their workout DVDs and we've seen those with Mike Dolce. When I saw TNA doing it for Jeff Hardy, I was like, really? Now, like I said, WWE, you look at it, and you're like, huh, it's weird, but it kind of makes sense. You know what I'm saying? Like you look at it, and you're like, all right, everybody's in good shape. So, it kind of makes sense. Now, there's, there, you know what I would like? If Triple H did the workout DVD in character. Imagine that. Come on, you piece of trash. Pick up that dumbbell. Oh, it would be bad. Just Triple H doing a workout DVD in full-on character. It would be, it would be the most beautiful thing in the world. <laughs> how, how ridiculous would that be? Just Triple H in, in character. Doing a workout DVD, I'd, I'd want to see it just for the hell of it, you know. Now, Val says Stephanie McMahon does not look good. This is not a good idea. It's weird because I believe she was in a couple of fitness magazines. It, I think it's just photography, you know, the way that she's photographed. Like certain divas, you they they photograph them certain ways and they don't look as pretty or as good looking as. As others. I mean, don't get me wrong, I'd rather watch a Stephanie McMahon workout DVD than a Dixie Carter workout DVD. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I, I I mean, I could I could live with that. But seriously, it's just it's just very weird that they would get into this particular market. But again, like I said, they really it doesn't cost them anything. They got the gym, they have the superstars, so people buy them or people don't. Say you put them out for 10 or 15 bucks, you know. It, it, it could it could work, it could work. So Val sends me a link. Ah, uh, let me look at this. It says Stephanie McMahon in a bikini. All right, let me look at this. What are you sending me? Oh, well, see, it's weird because you you tell me to look at this, and I and I and I'll be honest. Stephanie McMahon has like a mom body. I think she's popped out what three fuck trophies already. She's popped out three fuck trophies. With Triple H. Uh, for those of you that are new to the show, when I say fuck trophies, I mean kids. You know, you survive marriage. Will you get a trophy after nine months? That being your kid. <laughs> so, yeah, she's, you know, she's, she's had three. She's had three kids. So she has like a mom body. And and that's the funny thing, because, you know, she's, she's like the face of the company. She does like Twitter stuff with the WWE with at WWE moms. You know, it's, it's, it's weird because you look at it and you're like, okay, but it, she has a mom body. She's, she, you look at her and she's like, oh, you know, she's in good shape. And again, you know, clothes, clothes, make that a big part of it, but she's got a mom body. Like, and that's what I'm saying. Like if the DVDs are $10 and some stay at home mom with kids that watch wrestling wants to check it out, it's not, it's not the end all be all. I just find it very strange that they would jump into this of all things. Same thing with the Triple H DVD. It's like when I remember when I was younger, uh, I got the, the Triple H workout book. <laughs> I got the the the, uh, the Triple H workout book. Can I tell you what a what a what a festering pile of shit the Triple H workout book was? And, and it's funny because you know I'm I'm a gym rat. I've been a gym. I've been I've been working out since I was 13. My mom bought a uh, a home gym and it would this home gym where the old home gyms that would use bands instead of plates. So that was the first gym. It was huge. It was it was super huge. It took like a day and a half to put together. And I remember, you know, somebody gave me the the Triple H uh, workout book and you look at it and it's a lot of the the typical stuff. You know, uh, three sets of 10 real Mickey Mouse regular shit, you know, real Mickey Mouse bullshit. So, again. If you're like a regular dude and, and and oh I want I want to be jack like Triple H, first of all, you need a good supplier of HGH. Secondly, you need to eat nothing but chicken breasts and broccoli and asparagus. And the other thing, you need a diuretic and a shitload of water if you want to look like Triple H. I'm serious. Like, you know, you that's the funny thing. But again, it's just it's just such a random thing that they would get into, but We'll see what happens once we I get more news and maybe we get some stills or some pictures or 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 whatever. I'll I'll find a way to share it with you guys, because WWE workout DVDs are a recipe for disaster. You know what I like? I would like a dance with Fandango dancing DVD just so he could come out and, and, you know, dance, dance like this, shuck and jive. But here's the funny thing. Speaking of Fandango and, and dancing, I need you guys to go on our Facebook fan page. When he came out Monday with Summer Rae, he did his dance, and then he did the make it rain. I put the video on the, on the fan page for you. It is, it is ridiculous. He pretended to dance, and then he made it rain. That's all he did. He pretended like he was throwing dollar bills at Summer Rae. Please look at the video on the fan page. It is, it is so stupid, but it did happen Monday night, and I did forget to reference it. During the raw recap, but yeah, a uh, a, a, fan, a fandango dance video or maybe a uh, Funkadactyl's twerk workout. There you go. Uh, Naomi and Cameron will teach you how to twerk your way to success. Come on, it's 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 a given. It is a given. You know, get, get the twerk workout in. You buy it for nine ninety nine. <laughs> I can't. I can't. I can't do it. Anyway, with the WWE network in full effect everybody's wondering if wrestlemania is going to be on cable guess what if you got the dish network this is what the dish network thinks of you right now uh they will not be carrying wrestlemania 30 they put out the following statement please note that wwe is not willing to adjust pay-per-view costs to satellite and cable companies which is unfair to their customers dish needs to refocus efforts to support partners That better serve DISH customers and other satellite cable companies, including DirecTV, have also expressed that they may no longer provide WWE pay-per-view events in the future. Now, if you have DirecTV, WWE will have WrestleMania on DirecTV, but DISH Network, not so much. So there you have it. I knew that the network was going to ruffle a lot of feathers, and clearly cable companies are not happy. So there you go. All right. So check this out. And this was really crazy. I was looking at this on um, on WrestleZone and they were talking about WWE executives base salaries. Now, you're probably asking yourself, why is this news to me? Now I want to go into this CEO and chairman Vince McMahon makes one million one hundred and eighty four thousand five hundred dollars a year. This does not include stock grants or other bonuses. Chief financial officer and chief strategy officer George Barrios makes $700,000 a year. Executive producer Kevin Dunn makes $700,000 a year. Uh, WWE Studios president Michael Luisi makes $600,000 a year. Now, here is the number that you guys are going to love. Executive vice president of talent, live events, and creative Paul Levesque makes $558,000 a year. Here's the kicker. Triple H makes $558,000 a year, but he also has a talent contract for $1 million a year. Is that crazy or what? The dude makes $550,000 base. Then he makes a talent contract of $1 million. I kid you not. I'm about to paste this in the chat because I know you guys are gonna lose your minds. Triple H makes ridiculous money. Ridiculous. It's insane. It's insane. Five fifty plus the extra million as a member of talent. It's it's bananas. <laughs> Jay says sounds about right. It's it's ridiculous. So. Of course, we were talking earlier in the segment about Carlos Colón and we were talking about the Matadors. Well, Carlos Colón is going into the Hall of Fame and it's very interesting for a couple of reasons. Obviously, Carlos Colón is, is a, is a, uh, is a, is a bona fide Hall of Famer. But um, the funny thing is, Carlos Colón actually said in an interview um, on Primera Hora not too long ago, he, um, he said that they were probably going to be selling the World Wrestling Council... Uh, the WWC footage to WWE. I have a feeling that putting uh, Carlos Colón in the Hall of Fame is kind of like an olive branch to make an offer to the WWC wrestling library. So very, very interesting where that goes. I think, you know, Carlos Colón going in, he deserves it. He's earned it. And the guy, the guy is a legend uh, on the Puerto Rican wrestling circuit. So Getting the WWC tape library is going to be very, very interesting if that pans out. Obviously, um, you know, if, if I hear more, I will share it with you guys. Uh, Dark Helmet writes, Triple H makes more than Vince. Here's the thing. This is Vince McMahon's base salary. It's his base salary. Vince McMahon probably makes a shitload of money between stock options, network perks and bonuses, and performance bonuses. Because remember... These guys are all, their, their their money is based on a board of directors. So Vince McMahon has tons of stock options. He's just chilling, you know. With regards to, to Triple H, he has it very interesting because he not only gets a corporate deal, but um he also gets a talent contract. And uh, like I said, um and I mentioned this a couple of weeks back, Vince McMahon is officially a billionaire with all the stock success that he's had, thank you. And, you know, Jay Mercer also posted that in the chat. Vince McMahon is a billionaire. He is chilling right now. So giving Triple H, you know, a million and a half is, is nothing. It's a, it's a drop in the bucket. Now, you guys are going to love this. The WWE Network is going to start doing original programming. So they sent out a survey, which PW Insider shared, about potential WWE Network reality shows. The, the, these, these ladies and gentlemen are, g- are gems. They are 100% gems. First up, a reality show that they're looking at, which is a survey, um, Blackman's Bounties. It's supposed to follow WWE star and legit badass Steve Blackman, who is a bounty hunter. They want to do it in the style of Dog the Bounty Hunter with Steve Blackman. That's the first one. They want to do an NXT behind-the-scenes show, following obviously the, the 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 personal lives of the NXT brand. Next, they want to do a Pros versus Joe's TV show with where you get to have regular people competing against WWE talents in physical and non-physical challenges. Uh, think of it like you know American Gladiators. It's it's ridiculous. The other one, WWE Around the World, which is going to be. Um, Similar to Anthony Bourdain's No Reservations. The other one, they want to do WWE Dirty Jobs, of course, similar to the Discovery Channel series where they're going to have WWE superstars performing unpleasant jobs, including picking up garbage or working in the sewers of uh, working in the picking up garbage in New York City or working in the sewers in Chicago. WWE Prankdown, of course, the name says it all, will be a, a joke and prank show. Uh, WWE Rescue, a reality show where WWE talents come to the homes of super fans and help them with their personal and business problems, kind of along the lines of uh, Restaurant Impossible or Nanny 911. So think about this. You're a super fan and you are looking to lose 50 pounds and you send your tape into WWE. All of a sudden the doorbell rings, you open it and it's like. John Cena and John Cena is going to help you lose weight and get in shape or whatever it is like that's the kind of shit they want to do again eh, you know the last one WWE's ultimate challenge which is going to be their version of the amazing race with a 12-hour extreme scavenger hunt in different cities so there you have it I'm going to actually just uh paste these in the chat so you can see what they want to do with these shows uh after you got after I paste them in there I want you guys to let me know what you think would be an effective show for the network because there's a couple of gems in there. Um, the last one I forgot to, to put in there was Extreme WWE Collector, which they want to do similar to Travel Channel's Toy Hunter. Again, you know, focusing on WWE toys and memorabilia. How many of those episodes can you do? Not too many, but check that out. I'd love to know what you guys think, and by all means, make sure, feel free to, Share it in the chat. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, we talked about an incident involving Batista and um, a DJ from a radio station in Winnipeg. Now, if you remember, Batista and the guy had an exchange. It got a little physical and everybody thought that it was a promotional stunt. The DJ's name was Cam Carson, and he worked for Power 97 in Winnipeg. Turns out that the guy was drunk and he got fired. How crazy is that the DJ was intoxicated, he was legitimately thrown out by security and it was not a staged incident. So Power 97, which was a sponsor of the event, fired him. It was it was crazy. So there you have it. It definitely was not a um you know, it wasn't it wasn't a work. It was 100% real and the guy paid the price that being his job. So there you have it. Don't go getting wasted while you're a, while your company is a sponsor for WWE events. And then you won't get fired. So there you go. Cam Carson is unemployed thanks to a little exchange with the animal. All right. So with that said, that was actually the last bit of wrestling news for this week. Um, The guys in the chat checked out some of the shows. Mortis put, I would watch the pros versus Joe's American Gladiators type show. Uh, Jay Santee wants uh, Tough Enough. Mortis puts the problem with all these shows and doing wrestling events. You don't want to overexhaust your talent very, very true. And uh, Val says that Tough Enough needs another run. It's funny because if you follow Bill DeMott on Twitter, a.k.a. Hugh Morris, uh, he's kind of alluded to Tough Enough making a return to to WWE programming. Whether that happens or not remains to be seen. All right, so that's going to close the door on wrestling this week. We got quite a bit of gaming news to discuss, so uh, let's get right to it, shall we? (laughs) All right. First bit of gaming news I want to discuss is uh, there's a lot. There was a lot of uh, people leaving their jobs this week in the gaming industry. First up, um, Koji Igarashi's uh, uh, tenure at Konami has come to a close. Of course. He was the longtime producer of the Castlevania TV series, and he is out of here. His last day was March 15th, and he stated, I've decided to break out on my own to have freedom to make the kind of games I really want to make, the same kind of games that I think fans of my past games will appreciate. So there you go. He is now officially gone from Konami. Um, Also, uh, you know, one of the guys from Xbox, he left as well. I actually didn't get to put his name in the notes. That's why I didn't get to talk about it. But again, a lot of departures in the gaming industry, a lot of crazy things uh, going on. But again, anybody who is concerned about this affecting the quality of games or the industry as a whole, you have to understand the gaming industry goes in cycles and these are things that are constantly evolving, constantly changing. So for me, I feel that, you know, even though it's, it's newsworthy and it's worth talking about the fact is that a lot of them are going off and just working on their own things. And in some cases, the guys that truly benefit besides them are us because it allows them to branch out and do unique and special projects, which are great for us, the gamers. This past week, Capcom revealed their fifth and final uh, roster addition to ultra street fighter two. I mean, ultra street fighter four, excuse me. And the character was DiCaprio. Now, You're probably asking yourself, DiCaprio, what's her deal? Uh, DiCaprio was one of Bison's dolls and is actually... She made her first appearance in Street Fighter Alpha 3, and she now makes her debut officially as a playable character in Ultra Street Fighter 4. Now, the funny thing about that is that, you know, a lot of people are looking at it. They, um, you know, they have one of those things where a lot of people jump off and they're like, yeah, man, you know, they're just using a Kami Sprite and they're giving her psycho power moves, etc., etc., etc. Now, here's the thing. When you get up to Street Fighter 4 and, or when you get up to you know Super Street Fighter 4 or any other of the other incarnations, you see that you have your evil Ryus, you have your super-powered Akumas. It was only, it was only a matter of time before they did a super-powered over the top female character. Obviously you can't do a um, you know, uh, an evil ca- an evil uh Sakura or an evil Chun-Li just because that's way too easy. So going the route of using one of Bison's dolls, sure, it's very easy to say it's just a a, re- a redone Cammy sprite, but again, you're 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 meeting the demands of another character. That's what I'm saying. I would have liked I would have liked, you know, like and, and I talked about this before. I would have liked to see somebody like, you know, Asura from Asura's Wrath. And, you know, Slick, Slick and I had a, a lengthy conversation about this. But again, you know, when you're looking at a game like Street Fighter Four, there's, there's so many characters you can pick from that even though the DiCaprio character is cool, you can pick, you know, you can use, uh, you know, Skullamania from Street Fighter EX or Garuda or any of the EX characters that aren't owned by the company that did... um you know, the company that did uh, Street Fighter and, you know, Street Fighter EX, that they had their characters that a own, that they owned plus Capcom's characters, you know. Uh, in addition to that, you're also looking at characters that they could pull from Street Fighter 3. I mean, they've been doing a good job already with Elena and some of the other characters. What about characters like Q or Alex or Sean or Yurian? Uh, Yurian would have been a great addition or, you know, any of those characters because— According to what they've said in the in the Street Fighter timeline, Street Fighter three takes place before Street Fighter four. So if you're going to go that route, you can introduce plenty of characters from Street Fighter three into into the game without any issues whatsoever. You know, I mean, that's one of the things like DiCaprio. It's cool. You wanted to put like a like a female overpowered character. That, that's cool. I have no problem with that. But you got to be prepared for the backlash. And that's one of the things that, um, you know, it, it's, it's really, uh, yeah, Street Fighter 4 happens before 3. Didn't I say that? I did. I did not. Thank you, Slick. Um, you know, 4 suppo- four is supposed to take place before 3. Um, I did get it. I did get it backwards. That's right. 4 takes place before 3, which makes absolutely no sense. But if you've gone to the, to, to the lengths of introducing characters from 3 already, What's the harm in, in, in putting a, uh, you know, like I said, an Alex or um, Oro or Sean, you, you know, any of those characters in there. Like like you wanted to try and go extra and create this over-the-top female character, that's fine. But like I said, be prepared for the backlash. I've already seen uh, crapray. I've seen uh, Cami Redux. I've seen Sprite Manipulation. I've seen... I've seen a dozen complaints already, and that's fine. You know, it, 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 it's, 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 it's part of what comes with the territory. The only thing that I don't like is that you're, you're making all these roster additions, roster additions, roster additions, and while it's extending the shelf life of the game, you are kind of putting people in the, in the, in the uh, proverbial uh, corner in the sense that they want to see the series moved forward. They want to see the series evolve. Into you know Street Fighter Five, it would be nice, you know, because it's like we've we've already kind of done everything possible with four. I'm I'm a hundred percent serious when I say that I think four has run its course. Yeah, you intru- you put Poison and Hugo and Elena in there, and that and that's fine, and Rolento, and that's great because those are characters that have already been established, and you could just drop them in the Street Fighter universe, and, you know, in, in, in Street Fighter Four's universe you know, without a problem. But again, you're not you're not thinking outside of the box. It's like by the time Street Fighter five comes out, you're either going to be so entrenched like people are going to be so into other shit that it's not going to be met with the same level of excitement that four was because they know that Street Fighter five is going to come out. Super Street Fighter fives, Ultra Street Fighter five, hell, Ultimate Street Fighter five. It's the same thing that happened with Marvel versus Capcom. Where, you know, they, they added every character that they could that tied into every movie that they got coming out, which they do. And anybody who didn't figure that out clearly, clearly is not thinking up far ahead. Every character that is in, in Marvel versus Capcom is either an established character in a movie or going to be in a movie. Think about it. Ghost Rider, when that game came out, the second Ghost Rider movie came out. The Nova Corps are in Guardians of the Galaxy. Rocket Raccoon is in Guardians of the Galaxy. Hawkeye was in the Avengers. You see what I'm saying? Like a lot of, a lot of this stuff was all pre-planned. All of it. Because it, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's what's expected. This is, this is one of the things where as much as I love Capcom, they frustrate me. Because they're, they're, they're relying too much on their, on their existing properties and not taking any gambles by moving forward. It's the same gripe I have with Nintendo on occasion. But again, it, it, it's one of those things. Hopefully, Ultra Street Fighter is going to be the last one, and that'll be it. But if you are interested in picking it up, it will be released as an add-on uh, to Super Street Fighter 4 in June on the 360 and PS3. And then if you want to get a standalone disc, you'll be able to pick it up in August. Slick also informed me that, you know, Infamous Second Son comes out today and Sucker Punch will be releasing a day one update that will give five hours of additional gameplay over the next couple of weeks, along with difficulty balancing and bug fixes. Thank you, Slick, for bringing that to my attention. So if you are picking up Infamous Second Son, do yourself a favor, make sure you plug it in and get that update in ASAP. Now, the big the big, buzzword, the big buzzword this week, virtual reality. Of course, GDC is going on, and we have Oculus Rift, which everybody's been talking about. And, you know, Oculus Rift is cool, and it's a great concept. But Sony announced their Morpheus project, which is similar. It's going to use the, the camera along with the PlayStation Move. Same thing, big doohickey you wear on your head, and it's supposed to pretty much do... The whole virtual reality shtick now the problem with this is while i am a big fan of them moving forward and taking risks and trying to be uh yes thank you slick says the ps4 geordi laforge visor yes i do i do admire the necessity and 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 the and the the forward thinking of jumping into virtual reality but here's the problem with that in my opinion we're already in the next gen right? We're in, we're in the next hardware generation. How about we evolve the next hardware generation before we jump into the next peripheral generation? And what I'm saying is, like, you moved everything forward by introducing things like the Kinect and the PlayStation Move. That's great. But those two technologies still haven't even scratched the surface of what can be done. You get what I'm saying? Like, you put out the Kinect, and the Kinect, in theory, was, was, a, was a cool accessory. It had tremendous potential. It gave you a new way to play and enjoy your games. You know, voice activation, uh, doing the whole minority report, moving shit with your hands. It was great. But again, these are products that they still have a lot of shit going on. And what I'm saying is, like, there haven't been that many great Kinect games. There haven't been that many great PlayStation Move games. They're, they're there, and they're good, but they're not great. You know what I'm saying? Like, they haven't they haven't really embraced that technology to the point where you can look at it and say, wow, these guys have fully taken things to the next level. I feel that they're kind of sprinting to the finish to get this out because everybody's talking about Oculus Rift. Now, I've seen Oculus Rift. I've seen a lot of demos with Hip Hop Gamer. And it, it looks incredibly promising. And it does look like something that will definitely be the future of gaming. But the only thing, the only issue I have with that is that we're, we're dashing to the future without building out the present. You know, you put out this Xbox one, you put out this brand new PlayStation system, both systems are running neck and neck and they haven't even made it to the point where they have a a, a substantial library that makes people want to jump out of their skin to purchase these consoles, you know? Val says that PS4's headset came from the Oculus Rift project. Sony licensed the model of it. Well, see, there you go. Taking that into consideration, again, there's no ne- there's no necessity to jump that far ahead. I do feel that it's 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 a uh, it's a it's a no win situation. I almost feel like we're getting into Virtual Boy territory, where you're releasing these peripherals that you think are so revolutionary and so ahead of the uh, ahead of the curve. But in essence, what you're doing is you're, 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 making, you're making the waters very murky. You have, you know, cameras that you interact with with your voice. Now all of a sudden you have virtual reality. It's, 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 not, it's not where it should be. You know, I, I feel that they want to try and, and make these systems stronger with more peripherals. What they need to do is build up their systems with what we bought them for in the first place. Games, you know, I like that I can stream from my my ex, you know, from an Xbox One and a PlayStation Four without requiring a capture card. I like that. I like that. You know, that's forward thinking. That's great because you're eliminating the middleman and you're not. You know, you're you're filling a niche that's very very important. The thing that disturbs me is when you're going into we're going to release these add-ons and these peripherals. They're going to cost all this money and they're really not enhancing gameplay to the degree that we would like. And what I'm saying is think about it. You bought the connect. How many of you that have a connect legitimately use it? That's what I want to know. I want to know how many of you guys legitimately use a connect and and that, that's what I'm saying. Like, like I have a connect, you know what I play fruit ninja. Okay. I, I think I play fruit ninja more than anything. And the occasional voice commands. That's it. I don't really really go out of my way to play Connect a lot. You know? Now the dancing games, it's funny because the dancing games, I've played them. And here's the thing. When you have a group of people in your house and you want to play something, that's easily accessible. You know, Just Dance, Dance Dance Revolution, whatever it is. Those games are easily accessible and I have no problem with that. But here's the issue. You put out games like Just Dance or you put out games like Fruit Ninja and you really don't try to build anything else. You know, you put out that UFC trainer game, which I played, which was which was cool. You know, I like the UFC trainer game. And I felt that it was great and it was moving into the right direction. But what bothered me was that they just they, they had this whole big drive for physical fitness and then they just stopped. And that's what I'm saying. Like, it's it's like, oh, yeah, you know, check out this helmet. It's going to give you virtual reality and all this stuff we haven't even fully embraced 3D yet and you're over here talking about virtual reality gaming how about we get past 3D and 4K how about that how about we get to that stage how about we get to the stage where we're gaming you know where games are like this you know where 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 you can walk into a store and pick up four AAA titles without batting an eyelash and that's what i'm saying like My TV, I have a TV that that natively does 480 hertz and, um, you know, it does 240 motion flow. Now, I like watching motion, you know, my 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 movies and stuff with motion flow because it looks really cool, especially if you have stuff that uses special effect, like hardcore effects like the Avengers or stuff like that. I like that. But again, do I need it? Is it mandatory? No. The other thing, my TV has 3D. Do so I like watching the the motion flow, not ocean flow. Um, you know, my television has 3D. I've made it a point to buy a couple of 3D movies here and there. Like I bought Judge Dredd, you know, the new Dread in 3D, which was very cool. Um, you know, I bought Pacific Rim in 3D because it was very cool. It, things like that. Like I'm trying to, to give the technology a shot, but that's what I'm saying. We're not at a point where that technology is commonplace. Like it shouldn't have to be hey, you have to buy the 3D DVD extra. We're, we're, once we get to the point where all of that is standard, then, then we're ready to move to the next stage. With Connect and the PlayStation Move, it's nowhere near that. Nowhere near that. We are, we are nowhere near, you know, um, we're nowhere near virtual reality gaming. And the reason I say that is because we're not even near physical gaming. We're not near... Like even the Wii U and the Wii, people, to to a lot of people, they weren't used to that concept. They weren't used to it. You know, they weren't used to the whole Wii bowling thing. And then when it started taking off, it became something different. It became something unique. And it was something that Nintendo did right, the motion gaming. The only problem is that everybody jumped into the motion gaming and it didn't take off the way it should. So rather than try and reinvent the wheel and make it better, they just stood back and let it flop. That's what that's really what happened instead of instead of trying to evolve things and make them better. What they did was they just said, hey, you can do everything that the Wii does, but with better games, you can talk to your system. You can do this. You can do that. And that's, you know, that that's kind of where I feel that these systems are are not where they should be. Don't tell me that I'm going to want to play Oculus Rift or virtual reality when you don't have a library of games to even play that with don't get me wrong the concepts are cool you know like if you're if you're playing like assassin's creed and you look down and you see you know the um the the you know the the hidden blade and you can walk around and stab somebody that's all that's great that's well and good but how about we get to the point where there's games that can utilize that cuz right now there re- there really aren't any Uh, Speaking of Assassin's Creed, Kotaku actually leaked some screens for a brand new Assassin's Creed game called Assassin's Creed Unity, which is supposed to be taking place in 18th century Paris, France. Now, the funny thing with that is that there's also another Assassin's Creed that they're going to put out called Assassin's Creed Comet. Now, from what they've been saying, Assassin's Creed Unity is going to be on next generation consoles. Um, Assassin's Creed Comet will be on Xbox 360 and PlayStation 3 no idea if they're gonna if they're gonna really you know if it's going to be the same game or if it's going to be the game split across but i do admire what they're doing in trying to keep current generation consoles relevant because if you've been following the news this week you know that Titanfall was delayed Titanfall was supposed to hit stores on the 25th now it's been pushed to April 8th and a lot of people that are current gen console owners are very disappointed and very upset because they realized that some people are saying that it's a well-orchestrated plan by Microsoft to push people into the next generation. I don't know how accurate that is because you have to realize that, you know, Xbox Ones are $500, and you can pick up a Titanfall bundle for the same $500 getting the game and essentially for free. The only problem is that it's only the one game. Not everybody wants to play a first-person shooter. So when you're looking at that and you know, you're know you alienating the other half of your audience, you're, you're going to get people that are pissed off. And what I'm, say- what I'm saying is you put the game out for Xbox One. Everybody buys Xbox Ones or everybody that had Xbox Ones bought the game. And then when you, re- when you say, hey, we're going to leverage that and we're going to get people on the 360, and then you tell them, yeah, well, you're going to have to wait. I know people that have been waiting to play this game and they just want to enjoy it and they feel that they're being uh, led astray by by Microsoft because Microsoft keeps holding it back. Now, there could be other reasons, you know, obviously maybe it's quality control, maybe it's not, but a lot of people are not happy about that delay. Me personally, I want to play Titanfall. I played it in the, you know, I've played it at the Microsoft kiosk in, in my local mall. And it's an awesome game. Would I love to get an Xbox one for it? Sure. But like I said, when I get to the point where I can have three or four games that I can pick up for Xbox one or PlayStation four, then we'll talk for now. Our next gen stuff is being covered by slick because slick has a PS four. So, you know, it's one of those things where we're going to monitor it. Me personally, I'm going to monitor it and I will end up getting both systems at some point. But right now I'm just, I'm just not ready to jump in the pool yet. Right now my I'm just dipping my toes in and seeing if the water is warm. That's all I'm saying. Speaking of Titanfall, the exclusivity that it has will be a thing of the past if everything pans out. Um, EA will be the publisher for the next Titanfall game from Respawn Entertainment, um, according to what you know, GameSpot and Polygon put out. But the funny thing is that the next Titanfall will not be Microsoft exclusive. Obviously, we know that this version, Titanfall One, is exclusive to Xbox, Xbox One, Xbox 360, Xbox One, and the PC. But it looks like EA doesn't want to hear that, and they are actually looking to make it a multi-platform title. So, definitely very interesting to see that they're going in that direction. It's you know, um, when you look at it, Respawn founder Vince Sampella didn't he didn't dispute Titanfall making an appearance on the PlayStation Four didn't happen. He didn't he didn't say no, it's never happening. He was just kind of, eh, you know, we'll eventually make games for the PS4 and, you know, Titanfall's exclusivity, he kind of implied that it was just that one time only. So, we'll see what the deal is. You know, Titanfall as good of a game as it is, it's not it's not Halo. Not to say that it's not at at the stage where it can be Halo, but Halo was a system mover. Not to say that Titanfall isn't but Halo was the first, you know, Halo was the one that when you looked at it, you're like, wow, I want to buy a system to play that Titanfall, for all, for all its greatness and, and all it's, you know, all the, the, the aspects of it that are enjoyable. I really don't see people jumping out of their skin to drop $500 for one game. Thank you, Val. It's true. I don't see it. I don't see people jumping out. Oh man, I got to buy it. Doesn't happen. Like, don't get me wrong. When I bought the original fat Xbox, the first one. I bought Halo, I bought this really, really terrible fighting game where it showed people's bones breaking. Uh, What the hell was it? Uh, What the, it was, I'm trying to remember the name of it, it was one of the first fighting games on Xbox, and um, you know, I picked Halo up, I picked that up, and I picked up, I remember I picked up WWE Raw on the first Xbox, I think I still have it, maybe I'll stream that in a couple of days. And you know the original Xbox had built a pretty sizable library, so you know that was different because it gave you the initiative to want to buy it. But it's true, I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go and drop 500 bucks for one game. Can't do it, I can't. Like, Infamous Second Son, is it a system mover? Yeah, maybe. It's the first next generation console game that is, you know, it's 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 PlayStation's Titanfall. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's, it's that kind of a game. Now, if it was Uncharted, Uncharted would move systems. Because Uncharted's on a whole other level. And it's, it's a very accessible game. And that's what I'm saying. Like, when, when, when you're in that category of, oh man, you know, is this, is this a system mover? You know, it, it's, it's, it's crazy. You know, like, like the Xbox One, if I bought it, like I said, Killer Instinct, Titanfall, and maybe Rise is a rental. That's it. I've played Assassin's Creed 4. I've played NBA 2K. That's it. That's, that's pretty much where I stand. It's, it's crazy. You know, but it's true. And, and, and Slick, you're 100% right. The first real next-gen exclusive is Infamous. It's true. The next-gen exclusive on the Sony side is Infamous. And that that game... Is you know that that's what that's what's going to be one of the measuring sticks for this console. You're going to look at it and be like, "Wow, that's a really good looking game." And that's what a lot of people have been saying. A lot of reviews that I've seen for for Infamous Second Son have said that, like, "Yo, this is a next gen game." Yeah, but see, you're saying first real next gen exclusive, period. But Titanfall is next gen exclusive. It is. You know, and yeah, Titanfall wasn't exclusively created for Xbox One. But do you really think that the 360 version was was the 360 version was a formality? You know, but it's still next gen. The, the whole listen, Titanfall, in my opinion, is the coming out party for Xbox One. Sure, you can talk about Windows PC and Xbox 360. But again, I'm talking about that's what they want to sell it for. You know, that and that's the thing when, when they when they looked at Titanfall, it was marketed as the system mover. And the reason I say that is because when they're creating a bundle with one fucking game that all of a sudden, you know, it, it, it is what it is. You know, like if they created infamous second son bundles, which I think they might have, then I, I understand what you're saying. But I do feel that ne- in terms of next gen exclusivity, it's, it's all the same thing. And when I say that, it's because Microsoft is one company, whether Windows PC, 360 or Xbox One, it's one company, just like Sony is one company. You have Sony, Sony, you know, PlayStation Vita, PlayStation three, PlayStation four, one company in terms of both companies. Those are their exclusives, Titanfall and infamous. That's why when you're saying, oh, you know, it's it's not, you know, it's it's uh you know not next gen exclusive it is for the, for each respective company that's it next gen exclusive one the way i've what the way i look at next gen exclusive it is next generation exclusive for the company because at the end of the day windows windows and xbox and you know xbox 360 all the money goes to one place same thing with sony you know and, and I understand you, you know, I understand you disagree and I'd love for the phones to work so we could discuss it. But in my, in my opinion, and again, you're, you're entitled to disagree 110%, but I feel that all the money's going to one place. And if you're buying, and if you're buying Titanfall, I'm sorry to say, but Titanfall's going to go to two places, three, six, uh, play, uh, Xbox one and PC. That's where it's going yeah, people are going to hold out for the 360 like me and a couple of others because, you know, we just don't want to go and spend $500 on a system. And I'm sure it's going to be a pretty decent amount of people that buy it on the 360. But at the end of the day, it's, you know, it's it's made for next generation. Even if you're a PC gamer, you're going to have to spec out your PC to really enjoy it. You know? Slick says, I just would like to see what it would be if the 360 were a non-factor for this game. And it's true. I'd love to see that too. But you know what the problem is? When, when they decided to not include backwards compatibility, the viability of the 360 and the PS3 will always be in, you know, in question. It's always going to be that. And, and I agree there, you know, when you look at it like that, there's going to be an asterisk. If you say, oh, Titanfall outsold, you know, this game. You have to look at it because it's three hundred and sixty Xbox One and PC numbers all together. Like I can understand from a statistical standpoint, if I said to you, "Hey, Titanfall outsold Infamous," you're gonna say to me, and I know you would, you'd be like, "Yeah," because Infamous came out on three different pieces of hardware. It, you know, Assassin's Creed Four it made it sold a fuckload of You know, it sold a fuckload of copies, but you also are looking at it because it's all, it's on every system practically excluding Nintendo. And that's what I'm saying. Like, those games, they are multi-platform. And it's true, it, it barely looks better. I agree. It it doesn't. I mean Assassin's Creed 4 was the pinnacle in terms of how good that game could look on current generation consoles. Next gen consoles, it's just a prettier coat of paint. I just feel I just feel personally that in terms of looking at the console wars The games that are going to make an impact are Titanfall and Infamous. The console wars are really starting now. Not not in November, now. And the reason I say that is because the majority of the stuff that came out in November was all rehashed shit. I mean, they had one or two titles that were original, but I'm talking about titles that people are jumping out of their skin for. I looked on Facebook today and every other Facebook post was Infamous Second Son. When Titanfall came out, Every other post I saw was about Titanfall, and that's what I'm saying. Those are the the console wars are truly beginning now, hundred percent now, because now you have titles that make people take notice. You know, you know it's funny. GFQ Human says actually the new Donkey Kong game kind of makes me want the next the next gen Wii. You know what's funny about that? I played uh, the the new Mario game on the Wii U. And I was tempted to buy a system too, just because I appreciated the innocence of Mario and how, and how enjoyable it still is and how timeless it is. So don't, don't, don't think that that's a, you know, that's a, that's a jab against yourself. Cause it's the, a jab against you. Cause it's not, I, I, I honestly would buy a Wii U just to play the new Mario game. Cause it, I really enjoyed playing it, but Anyway, let me let me get through the last bit of uh, 90 seconds. There you go. Uh, for those of you listening on Blog Talk Radio, the live feed for Blog Talk Radio will go off air at 2 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can continue listening on MTRLive.com or GFQlive.tv. dot TV. Otherwise, you can also keep listening on Mixler or you can also listen on uh, TuneIn Radio for archives or keep listening on the GFQ network. Once again, the blog talk radio feed will cut seconds. will cut off in 60 seconds, and you can continue listening by uh, sticking around on mtrlive.com or gfqlive.tv. All right. So to wrap things up on the gaming side of things, I did want to talk about uh, Sony venturing into their original content, uh, much like Xbox is doing with... Um, The Halo TV series. It looks like Sony's going to try and get into the original uh, content as well. That being, uh, they want to do the Powers, uh, the show based on the Powers comic book. Uh, The Powers comic book, for those of you that don't know, um, is a series about superheroes. Which is, um, it was written by Brian Michael Bendis, and it's pretty much um, it goes all the way back to 2000. And it's pretty ten seconds. All right, all right, ten seconds for those of you on the Blog Talk Radio feed. We are going offline in 10 seconds. Okay, so the Powers TV series, for those of you that don't know, is about a pair of homicide detectives who are investigating crimes involving people with superhuman abilities. Now, this, this series has been talked about quite a bit in terms of going for movies, going for TV shows, whatever the case is. It turns out that they've decided to actually have the Powers TV series air on the playstation network much like they want to do with the halo series on xbox live playstation network is starting to get their own programming as well now the beauty of this is that the tv show dynamic is is evolved substantially now we get tv shows on netflix we get tv shows on hulu we get original tv shows on amazon microsoft now is trying to stake their claim as being one of the first to provide original content for consoles Of course, Sony, not one to be left behind, is doing the same thing by introducing a, um, you know, introducing programming that people will want to check out on the PlayStation Network. I definitely think that Powers is a great addition. I think that the concept and the stories are fantastic. And the best part of it is that they don't have to deal with the restrictions of networks. They can can do it the way they want to do it and give us the most accurate representations possible. So... That's one of the things that I think is going to be tremendous with regards to delivering really, really good programming on either Xbox Live or PSN. And I'm really going to be watching that with much interest. So, again, uh, Powers will be heading to PSN in the near future, and we definitely are going to have more on that as the story develops. Okay, Uh, that's actually going to wrap up our gaming news for this week. Let's head into some entertainment news to wrap things up because there is quite a bit to discuss. And we even got some what the fuck movie news to discuss as well. Let's get to it, shall we? All right. So on the Marvel side of things, we had a lot going on this week, including the assembling the Marvel Universe TV special that was given on ABC this past Tuesday. And a lot of stuff went down there that I definitely want to discuss, including uh, some glimpses into Ant-Man, the Avengers Age of Ultron. Plus, we got a little bit of of footage from Guardians of the Galaxy and a little bit about Captain America and the Winter Soldier. So first thing I want to talk about is... um, Besides the Avengers stuff, I do want to talk about what happened with the Veronica Mars film, uh, which actually made a lot of waves for not really good press, but actually bad press. Uh, That being that the film was released digitally for those that did Kickstarter's donations to get the film funded. And the funny thing was that it just didn't work out the way people had expected. The digital copy of the movie was uh, accessible via either Ultraviolet or Flixster. Now, Flixster is a service that you can use on, uh, you know, different on, you know, Google TV and a couple of other uh, services. But in my house, we have Flixster on Google TV. And the funny thing is that if you pledge $35 or more, you get a digital download copy of the film through Flixster or Ultraviolet within days of its theatrical release. Um, As a matter of fact, when the film came out, uh, my wife got her digital copy and she watched it that day. Now, the funny thing is that people that were trying to download it were having issues. Now, like anything else, much like the WWE Network when it launched the UFC Fight Pass, anything that involves digital distribution, there are going to be problems. It's not going to be a one-trick pony. It's not going to be an easy, an easy fix. It's going to be, you know, issues. If you don't want to deal with issues, you got to wait a few days for everything to to die down for you to jump in the pool. Otherwise, you're going to deal with the bullshit. Now, GFQ human as Veronica Mars, wasn't that like a TV show 10 years ago? Yes. Yes, it was. And they actually wrapped up. They canceled the TV show. Well, not canceled it, but the TV show went off air before a lot of the stuff could be resolved. And a very passionate fan base actually helped fund the film via Kickstarter, which leads into this week's story. So As I said, uh, people that got the PDF, uh, the PDF file, the shirt and the digital download of the film were complaining that they could not download it. And this is crazy. Like they went onto the Kickstarter page and they pissed and moaned and complained. And it frustrates me because, you know, as somebody who consumes digital content as well as owns physical content, I respect that not everything is going to run smoothly. Things happen, whether it's bandwidth or services or anything, anything and everything that can happen does happen. I've used, I per views to watch wrestling events where the feeds freeze. I've watched Invicta events where the feeds just go offline and the companies, they do right by the, by the customer and they either refund the customer money or, you know, they, they try and give the customer something else in its place. So people that are, that were complaining, they were just complaining for the sake of bitching. So what happened was uh, Veronica Mars's creator, Rob Thomas, released a statement on Kickstarter. He said, We know that some of you have strong opinions about the decision to provide digital versions of the movie through Flickster. As you'll see in the original FAQ on our Kickstarter page, we always plan to include fix- Flickster as a digital distribution platform. But I also know that many of you use iTunes, Amazon, or other platforms and would pr- prefer to claim your digital copies on your favorite service. So we hoped... We'd be able to arrange for more options. Unfortunately, it just wasn't possible. In the end, Flickster was the best option of getting digital movies the digital movie reward out to you worldwide at the same time. But more than anything, I wanted to today, I want today to be perfect for you. You know, today the movie came out, and I want you to be able to watch it. So here's the deal. We understand that some of you prefer other platform and services. If you contact our customer support team, they can help. So What they ended up doing is if you paid for a copy of the movie a year ago, we don't have you and we don't want you to have less choice or freedom. We definitely don't want you to end up paying twice. So what ends up happening is a lot of people ended up getting the movie for free or they ended up getting the money, uh, you know, refunded. It was it was crazy the way that it went down. And what bothered me, like I said, was just the fact that people that got the movie, whether it was for free or not for free, we, we really have to respect the fact that these are things that are not going to be very, very easy. They're not, especially with digital distribution. Now, obviously, the movie broke a lot of records in terms of being funded via Kickstarter. It was also in the box office top 10 this week, which we'll discuss. But my biggest concern is that, you know, you you knew what you were getting into. You knew the platform that it was going to be distributed on. And you know that sometimes shit doesn't work the way it should. The same thing could be applied to iTunes Google Play, um, Amazon, Netflix, Hulu, all of the shit breaks. It happens. GFQ Human says, I remember seeing commercials for it on TV 10 years ago. It was a popular show with middle-aged men. You know what's funny? I know a lot of middle-aged dudes that that watch it, that enjoy it. I've never watched it personally. It wasn't my thing. Uh, My wife is a hardcore fan, super hardcore. Like I said, she funded, she helped fund it, and we did the giveaway for it. So You know, to to each their own. I know a lot of people that really, really like it and they thought that the movie really brought everything full circle. So, you know, kudos to them. I just I just am bothered by the fact that people don't respect that digital distribution is still in essence in its infancy and it's still getting all the bugs worked out. Eventually, eventually it'll all come together. But to bitch and piss and moan to get a free movie. Come on, guys. You could have just waited a day. It's stupid. All right. Of course, it wouldn't be a My Take Radio Entertainment segment without talking about Marvel franchises. Of course, I want to talk a little bit about the um, assembling the Marvel Universe, but we got to talk about Spider-Man Four. Uh, Mark Webb did an interview recently, stating that he will not be directing Spider-Man Four, and he would actually like to be involved as a consultant. Of course, the Spider-Man universe that he's created is really starting to take a life of its own. We already know, and the rumors are very, very strong that. The Sinister Six are inevitable for future Spider-Man installments. Of course, we also have the the possibility of Venom hitting theaters. So you got to look at it like this. Amazing Spider-Man 2 hits theaters May 2nd. They want to put Amazing Spider-Man 3 out in 2016. And then Amazing Spider-Man 4 they want to do in 2018. They want to do a two-year cycle. I don't have a problem with it. I just feel that you really want to make sure that the stories that you're telling Are the really really good stories and that you're not really that you're not taking liberties with the character and this is one of the things i i gotta say if after amazing spider-man 4 let's say amazing spider-man 4 tanks whatever the case is i'd love i'd love to see marvel get spider-man back in house and have spider-man be part of marvel studios that way spider-man can show up in other films because that's really what we all want to see we'd love to see spider-man on screen with the avengers We'd like to see Spider-Man, uh, you know, mixing it up with Wolverine and the X-Men or or popping up on a Daredevil TV series or showing up on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. You know, it, that's that's one of the things that I feel is a is a very, very big, big roadblock for a lot of the stuff Marvel can do, because some of their properties are still being far are farmed out to other to other entities. Uh, Fox, of course, has X-Men and Wolverine. Uh, Sony has Spider-Man. And that's what I mean. Those really, really big franchises, not to mention Fantastic Four are still out there as well. I really would love Marvel to get the rights back to those characters because the only way you can successfully build a cohesive universe is by owning all your properties. I'd love it. I mean, don't get me wrong. The amazing Spider-Man films are enjoyable, but it just bothers me that you can't acknowledge Spider-Man in the other movies because the rights belong to someone else. It's like what Hugh Jackman said in an interview Um, last year, I believe he said, listen, if they were willing to split the money, I'd love to do the Avengers or I'd love to show up in a movie. And it's true. At the end of the day, if they split the money or they found a way to divvy it up, it would be, it would be the right thing to do just because these characters, they all interact with each other. Like it would be cool. Even if it's just Steve Rogers walking into a bar and bumping into Wolverine and going, Oh my God, you're still alive. Like that would be like, like something like that would be cool. Like Steve Rogers, you know, he could say, Hey man, I remember seeing you X, you know, X amount of years ago. But, um, you know, it's, it's one of those things where I'd love, I would love to see that because that'd be kind of cool. Steve Rogers comes in to a bar to get a beer and he sits down and Wolverine's at the bar and he's like, or, or he says like, don't I know you from somewhere? And Wolverine's like, no. And he just walks out the same way that they did with X-Men first class. Just something subtle, something small like that's the kind of shit that people want to see. I mean, if you watch Amazing Spider-Man, not Amazing Spider-Man, if you watch Spider-Man 2, there's a scene where Mary Jane is running from running from uh, what's what's his name? She's running with a wedding dress and the Punisher is actually one of the Easter eggs that's there. You know, that's one of those things where you want to check that out. If you haven't, same thing. If you see, I believe it was the second Hulk movie where he was going to commit suicide in the Easter egg. And when he causes the avalanche, you can see Steve Rogers frozen in the ice. I mean, it's little Easter eggs like that. Nothing crazy, nothing out of the ordinary, but stuff that fans want to see. I mean, you don't got to put the guys on screen all the time. It's just something that would definitely be worth seeing in the future. All right, on the box office front. No big shocker there. Need for Speed did not crack the number one slot. Need for Speed ended up placing number three with 17.8 million dollars. 300 Rise of an Empire was number two. Mr. Peabody and Sherman was number one, sneaking into the number one slot. Nonstop was number four. Tyler Perry's Single Moms Club was number five. The Lego Movie was six. Son of God was seven. The Grand Budapest Hotel took the number eight slot. Frozen was number nine and the Veronica Mars film took the number 10 slot, making $2 million. While we're on the subject of Wolverine, James Mangold has confirmed that there will be a third Wolverine film that will be, uh, that will start being filmed after X-Men Apocalypse is released. Uh, Mangold responded to that, uh, due to it, you know, they asked him a question about it and he did confirm that we will be getting another Wolverine film. So there you have it. I think, uh, you know, James Mangold did a very good job with The Wolverine. I liked it, minus him fighting Silver Samurai at the end, which was, eh. I felt that the darker tone really fit the movie, and if you watch the uncut director's cut, you can really, really appreciate it. GFQ Human, I have no idea why they're still Tyler Perry movies, but you know one of the biggest reasons? They are cheap to make, and they make the money back very quickly. That's, that's really it. You know, you watch, you watch the, the Tyler Perry films, and they all have they're all pretty paint by numbers, but they don't cost a lot. So they bring in a substantial amount of revenue because they're cheap to make. Same thing with horror movies. Horror movies are in that same vein. That's why we get 100 different versions of certain films, because, you know, they're, they're very cheap to make. Slick goes on to say that chicks go to watch them. That's why. You know, it's funny. Slick says that women go to watch them. But I, I can't I can't front. I've seen a couple of guys that go to see them, too. Because they have a soft spot for uh, a guy, uh, you know, Tyler Perry and Drag as an old woman. Just saying. But again, to each his own. Different strokes for different folks. In some re-release news, we are going to be getting a brand new 3D version of The Incredibles. Right along with Ratatouille. Of course, the 3D version of Ratatouille will probably make a fuck ton of money. Just because that's a movie that everybody kind of enjoyed but didn't give credit where credit was due maybe a repeat viewing will get people more interested i liked ratatouille it was one of the first blu-rays i bought um an incredible film in terms of the just the image quality it's a great reference quality dvd uh the incredibles i'm just a huge incredibles fan so seeing it come out in 3d is is a plus not only that but of course they will be doing a second incredibles which was announced recently as well as a third cars film i don't know why we're going to get one of those just because the Cars franchise kind of run its course after the first film. So take that for what it's worth. The Incredibles 2 is um, rumored to, uh, th- there's no release date yet, but the funny thing is that Brad Bird is going to be involved, which is pretty cool. Uh, Cars, like I said, doing a third Cars film, snooze worthy to say the least. Um, I will say this, and this is something that in my opinion is going to be the 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 bigger the bigger hole, and that's the fact that while The Incredibles was a great movie, um, you you want to you want to look at it and say, will a second movie be able to grab people the same way the first one did? Now, of course, superheroes being as popular as they are, it, it'll probably do very well. But the only problem that concerns me is, you know, is it too late? Is it too late to do that? I mean. Obviously, with with Toy Story, that that wasn't a factor. But with with the Incredibles, it's been a long time. So I don't know if it's going to grasp people the same way. Me personally, I'm definitely going to go and see it. But it's something that, you know, you got to take into consideration. Uh, Slick asked, that didn't Cars 2 flop and wasn't Cars 3 planes. You know, it's funny you say that, but Cars 2, uh, you know, Cars 2. Yeah, even though it flopped you know, even though it did flop, I do think that they realized that they can get money out of little boys, you know, out of parents with, with young sons. The first thing they do is buy their kid, a lightning McQueen or a mater. So, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, you, you jump into it and you ask yourselves, why is this being made? And the the easiest answer is dollars, dollars and cents. That's it. With a brand new Transformers movie on the horizon, we know that a brand new Transformers cartoon was inevitable. Now, I'm very surprised that I didn't hear from Slick after this because I shared an image of, trans- of the new Transformers cartoon, which is supposed to be taking place right after Transformers Prime. And the interesting part of this is that Bumblebee is a prime. The image I shared... You know, the image I shared on our Facebook fan page was of Bumblebee Prime. And it's going to be a brand new cartoon, which is going to debut in 2015. And what's going to happen is that this series is going to follow Bumblebee as the new leader of the Autobots. And of course, you know, Wilfred Dell from Boy Beats World will be returning as Bumblebee. And it's just going to follow a brand new set of stories. And I just thought. I just thought that it was just a cool concept that Bumblebee became a prime just because, It's not something you see every day. You know, it's not something it's not something you see often. Like a lot of times every Transformers cartoon you've watched has always been about Optimus Prime and Megatron. That's not to say that we're not going to see Megatron ever again, but I do think that that making Bumblebee a prime is is very, very interesting. And I think like kids that are really big fans of the cartoons and fans of Bumblebee are really going to get into this. Like, I like the progression of where they did that, because when you when you look at it, it's almost it was almost a given that at some point Bumblebee would lead the Autobots because that's something, you know, you just watch a lot of the cartoons, you kind of see that they always kind of tease it and mention it. Transformers Prime really took it to that level. And Slick and I, we watched the show uh, pretty much from beginning to end. And, you know, when the way it ended was very some people were were very frustrated with the way it ended. But I'm curious to see how Bumblebee looks as, a, you know, how Bumblebee leads as a Prime. Now, if you want to see what he looks like, head over to our Facebook fan page. You can scroll down past the, the, the last couple of updates and you'll see that there's a picture of Bumblebee Prime. The design has elements of uh, Transformers Prime and the original, the other Transformers cartoon that they were giving on Nickelodeon, I believe. Um, you know, Slick says they make be the leader to cash grab. I agree. But you know what it is in terms of from a storyline perspective, you can kind of follow that. And I think kids will, will like that. You know, the same way kids like Optimus Prime, Bumblebee was, or in essence, the kid friendly Autobot, especially, you know, with the last couple of movies and cartoons, the focus, even though it was always on Optimus Prime, the secondary focus was always on Bumblebee. So seeing him become the leader, it's kind it's kind of just the story coming full circle. Uh, obviously it's not something we're gonna adjust from. And it yeah, smoke screen smokescreen should be leader, but you know, you could you could say that, but the thing is, making Bumblebee a prime, when you when you tell when you talk to kids about recognizable characters, that yellow and black immediately. You know, it's it, exactly it's like Dick Grayson becoming Batman. It's it's just something that was it's long overdue. Now again. It's not meant, you know, we can sit here and debate this, but again, we're grown men debating cartoons, you know, it's, 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 it's an argument that we can have and it can be an educated argument and it can be a detailed argument, but you know, I always, I always, I've always felt that it's, it's a, it's a cool way to continue that. Not only that, but I also felt that Transformers prime ended a lot sooner than it should have, you know, but see slick slick goes into like the semantics and, and and that's why it's good that Slick is here for that because, you know, I, it's true. Ironhide can be considered one of those guys. Prowl was second in command, but from a merchandising, merchandising standpoint, Bumblebee becoming a prime is—it is, is it makes sense. From, from a merchandising standpoint, it just makes sense. I'm not saying you got to like it, but me personally, I, I kind of think it's cool. I, I, I kind of like it. Like I said, for me personally— it brings the story full circle, but I will say that my views on Transformers Prime and Slick's views on Transformers Prime didn't always mesh. And that's, that's what makes us, you know, that's what, that's what makes him part of the team, having him part of the team uh, good. Because, you know, we, yin and yang. Anyway, Star Wars 7, another 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 week, another rumor. But this one has a little bit more weight to it because it looks like Star Wars Episode 7 will be set 30 years after the events of Return of the Jedi. This, of course, um, will allow them to use all the older actors, plus introduce a brand new younger cast. So obviously, 30 years later, you can include all the older characters, you know, Mark Hamill, Carrie Fisher, Harrison Ford, maybe Lando Calrissian. Then boom, we got a set of brand new fresh faces. This next bit of movie news, very, very weird. Uh, Deadline was reporting that Sofia Coppola is in negotiations with Universal Studios to do a live action Little Mermaid. Why? Couldn't tell you. Do we need a live action Little Mermaid? No. (laughs) I I think that when when you think Little Mermaid, you just think Disney and you move along. But seems that they want to try their hands at doing a live action one. We'll see how it pans out not 100% sold but eh Doug Lyman is trading in Jason Bourne for Sam Fisher. Doug Lyman is rumored to be directing the film adaptation of Splinter Cell. Of course, Tom Hardy will be playing the role of Sam Fisher and it looks like uh you know Doug Lyman will probably use a lot of the same elements that made the Bourne franchise uh, a number one box office hit and its sequels as well. So there you go. Doug Lyman trading in Jason Bourne For Sam Fisher. There you go. And Sam Fisher, of course, being played by Tom Hardy should definitely be interesting. I saw that GFQ Human was asking about Frozen, which actually broke quite a bit of records this week in terms of Blu-ray and home video sales, selling 3.2 million Blu-rays and DVD discs on its first day of release. Of course, this number includes pre-sales, making the movie one of the biggest sellers of home video for the last decade. The funny thing is, these figures don't even include any early digital HD or digital 3D sales from February 25th. Frozen earned the honor of fastest-selling digital release of all time. You know, it's it, it's it's very it's very crazy that a film that's so critically acclaimed could just break records like this. But you know what it is when it comes to to Disney and some of the movies they've been putting out, it's just been a, a you know a five star track record. And, you know, all the Oscar buzz and all the, different, all the different press that Frozen got, none of this surprises me. So, Ghostbusters 3, of course, with the passing of Harold Ramis, was kind of up in the air. Ivan Reitman bowed out. And when he bowed out and Harold Ramis passed away, I said to myself, you know, maybe this is going to be it. It's going to be one of those things where Ghostbusters 3 will finally be shelved. Turns out that is not the case. It looks like uh, Phil Lord and Chris Miller from Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs and 21 Jump Street and the Lego movie are in talks to take over Ghostbusters 3 now that Ivan Reitman has stepped down. Very, very interesting uh, choices. I think that those guys, considering their track record with Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, 21 Jump Street and the Lego movie, may fare fairly well with Ghostbusters, whether they really embrace the existing cast or they look to carve out a niche with new Ghostbusters, is going to be very interesting to see. Not only that, but I'd like to honestly, I'd like them to actually acknowledge acknowledge that Egon passes away in the films. I think that would just be a great thing to add to the story. I'm not saying make him appear as a ghost or anything hokey like that, but at least allow the progression of time to be relevant. In other words, you know, obviously Ray Stantz is going to be older. Winston is going to be older. And, and, you know, you can go that route and you could say, oh, yeah, you know, Egon passed away and you can kind of have a picture in the firehouse or something. It, it would be cool if they did that, if they were doing a whole uh, old guard passing the torch to a new guard. I really, um you know, I'd like to see that. Val is saying that they're doing a reboot and everybody dropped out. But you know what the funny thing was? They rebooted 21 Jump Street and we saw guys from the 21 Jump Street cast pop up. So even though they may have dropped out the original cast, that doesn't mean that you may not have, you know, one of those guys pop up. If any, if any guy, if anybody has the biggest chance of showing up in those films, it'd probably be Ernie Hudson because Ernie Hudson is, you know, he's not to say he's not a shitty, he's not a shitty actor or anything, but you know, he, he'll, he'll show up, you know, even if it's for a five second cameo or whatever, but you know, everybody, nobody wants, you know, Val says, yeah, with due to, to Harold Ramis passing, nobody wants to touch it. But you know what the thing is? Nobody wants to touch it, but at the end of the day, money talks, dude. And even in, even in death, money still talks. And, you know, Heath Ledger died. That didn't mean that, you know, nobody... I'm sure we'll, we'll see the Joker in a Batman movie at some point, but it's not the end-all be-all, you know what I mean? Like, I would have liked that if you were going to do a Ghostbusters film, you acknowledge Harold Ramis's passing, but you make it part of the story and you do it in a classy way. You know, I think it would be it would be very, very cool to see them do it that way. I think acknowledging it that way would just be it would be nice. It would be it would be very it would be a proper send off. And, and the fans could really appreciate it. If you're an 80s baby and a, and, a, and a girl or or I know a couple of guys that really enjoyed this, you'll appreciate this next bit of news as John M. Chu from G.I. Joe Retaliation is set to direct the film based on Gem and the holograms. I kid you not. Gem and the Holograms is being shopped around for a big screen debut. The original series was created by Christy Mark along with Hasbro, Marvel, and Sunbow Productions. It aired in 1985 for three seasons. Of course, that followed the uh, the musical group Gem and the Holograms and the musical alter ego Jerrica Benton. Of course, um, they performed you know rock concerts and all this crazy shit, and you know they they had a, an evil band. Called the Misfits. Here, here's the thing. We've seen GI Joe on the big screen. We're waiting for Voltron to come to the big screen because it is inevitable. So seeing Gem on the big screen, look, whatever. <laughs> like, like we've already seen the Smurfs. We've already seen Transformers. We've already seen GI Joe. I'm shocked. I'm shocked that you know that Gem that that it took this long for Gem to hit the big screen. I mean, they put Josie and the Pussycats on the big screen. I can see them doing it, doing it with Gem as well. Like, like I said, I wouldn't be shocked. Like I said, if within the next five years we see a Voltron movie and we start digging into those properties because those properties are just chock full of of, of things that you can bring to the big screen. I know one particular cartoon that if they brought it to the big screen would be incredible, and that was Mask. If you guys w- were if you guys remember that cartoon, Mask was was is pretty much. Fast and Furious with cars that have machine guns and, you know, that kind of stuff I think would be would work with the with the current special effects and the current crop of of Hollywood talent that's out there. I think Mask would work. Uh, Centurions, I'm a huge fan of. I'd love to see Centurions on the big screen. But again, right now, we're just going to have to deal with Gem. Last bit of Marvel news, uh, Patton Oswalt will be showing up on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. He will be playing Agent Eric Koenig. Uh, the character appeared in the comics as a, me- as a member of Nick Fury's uh, Howling Commandos, and um, he was instrumental a- as being one of the people that helped uh, Nick Fury create S.H.I.E.L.D. after the war. So they haven't said which specific episode he's going to show up in, but um, Patton Oswalt will be showing up on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. In some unnecessary reboot news to close out the show this week, The Grudge is going to be remade. Once again, of course, the original American version, which came out in 2004 with Sarah Michelle Gellar, was based on Takashi Shimizu's Japanese horror franchise of the same name. Now, it looks like we will be getting a brand new reboot, and of course, we're going to get a lot of... As long as we get that, you know, that's always going to be that's always going to be fun stuff. You know, when you're talking about The Grudge, as long as we get creepy sounds like that, it's all good. So there you have it. We're getting a gem movie. The Grudge is getting remade. And um, Spider-Man 4 will not be directed by Mark Webb. That's pretty much the entertainment news in a nutshell for this week. Uh, The other thing I did kind of want to mention was Christian Bale playing Steve Jobs, but that's something I'm going to be discussing, um, you know, next, <laughs> I'll be discussing that in detail next week when I get more information about that. Anyway, let's wrap it up. You've just heard My Take Radio episode 220 for Thursday, March 20th, 2014. If you have any questions, concerns, or would like to be a guest on a future episode of My Take Radio, feel free to email me at mtrhost at mytakeradio.com. If you're interested in advertising with us or writing for mytakeradio.com, You can email me at mtrhost at mytakeradio.com as well for any information for either of those two things. Last but not least, of course, you can get the complete My Take Radio experience by picking up the My Take Radio app for iOS, Android, and Windows devices. For iOS, of course, iTunes is your source. For Android devices, you will be going to the Amazon Marketplace and you can get the show there. And for Windows devices, you can go to the Windows Store. It is $1.99 cheaper than a cup of coffee. You get 98 uh 96k stereo episodes of MTR, exclusive content, mobile wallpapers, and we're gonna try and get more original stuff for app owners. Like I said, it's $1.99. It's cheaper than a cup of coffee. Otherwise, you can get archived versions of the show via Stitcher, Blog Talk Radio. You can watch reruns on the GFQ network or on YouTube. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel, uh YouTube.com forward slash my take radio TV. Also, you can always use TuneIn Radio or Stitcher if that's something you'd prefer. We do ask, and I really would appreciate if you're getting the shows off of iTunes. Please take a moment and rate the show. We would really, really appreciate it. All right. Last last thing to take us out is some outro music. And uh, what are we, we going to rock with this week? I think, uh, you know, it's funny because I have such a, a huge... Uh, Folder full of original music to take us out, and every week it's always something different. and I know that Slick was saying that we should go with a little bit of Street Fighter 2. I think this week we are going to honor that request and we're going to go up with we're going to go out with Street Fighter 4's Time to Oil up by Pixie tricks and Zircon from ocremix.org, the letter O, the letter c remix.org on behalf of myself. Slick, Ben, and the rest of the MTR family. I will catch you guys next week. Thank you all for tuning in. I am out of here. Peace.